nostalgia rages across the land. Where everyone and their mother has a podcast. Where there's still a movie trailer guy who says, in a world. Three friends revisit films, shows, and games that molded them as they search for answers to life, the universe, and everything in between. Settle in and join us for Screen Refresh. Welcome back to Screen Refresh, a show where we revisit the films, shows, and games that molded us as we search for answers to life, the universe, and everything in between. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined by my fellow Screen Refresh crew, Dean, David, and Tim. It's right on top of you. <laughs> is that from this one? Yes, it is. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Game over, man. Game over. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing the 1979 film where cats sleep in cryotubes and the pay is never equal, Alien. Before we get started, though, Tim, can we talk about that bonus situation real quick? <laughs> you get paid what you're contracted. Just like everybody else. I know, I love that Aliens is like a horror sci-fi movie, but it's really just about capitalism. <laughs> the true horror. <laughs> yeah. And how it doesn't doesn't <laughs> care about the little guy. Steps in the little guy, dude achieve its goals i mean if we're in late stage capitalism is alien like post stage capitalism well it was before walmart bought the company so <laughs> oh isn't that canon yeah oh uh, yeah on rewatch it, it 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 really feels like this this movie is like really for this time <laughs> some of that stuff really hit home it did. I agreed with Parker a lot more than I expected to this time around. <laughs> I've seen the movie so many times, but never actually sat and watched it. So actually fully taking in a lot more than I usually do, because I usually pay attention most to like the, you know, the face hugger scene and, you know, them running around trying to not die. So all the little bits in the beginning, I was a little more open to actually listen and see what's going on with. And it was... um yeah, I definitely agree with Parker a lot. That I just want to go home and party. <laughs> I mean, that first hour, like the build up, has some some of my favorite world building in sci fi of that era. Like we really, in a really small package, learn so much about the individual crew members and like the world that they live in. And uh, it's it's not a, it's not a great world. It's um it's pretty bad. But I really do love how much time they spend setting up. Uh, and how quickly you get really invested in the characters. Absolutely love like that first pre-alien uh, role. <laughs> well, even from the very beginning, I like, and we'll get into it a little bit later, but just the set design that the ship itself in Nostromo doesn't have that. It's futuristic, but it's truly like a lo-fi situation and it looks lived in. Like this is a blue collar ship. This is not like a space travel whatever you might think of when you think of the the far-flung future this just seems like yep this is the same thing that anybody nowadays would be punching in and out on it's just a mine in space it doesn't it doesn't feel like retro futurism either it feels like yeah i buy this as uh, i don't know the dates but hundreds of years in the future it's actually 2025 <laughs> is I mean, it really no i have no idea <laughs> oh okay. it's like good pull on that but i mean i guess it does it does still run on ms dos 
but um everything else looks pretty good it's that same stigma that like went star wars went through because it's one of the few sci-fi movies that had a prequel made in the future so all of the tech in like prometheus and alien covenant looks way more advanced even though it's technically a prequel to alien where it looks like you know they've literally spared every expense possible and instead of giving a full graphic interface the guy's just staring at like a um like a spectrogram and it's just like numbers and like wow you know these are all elements just by seeing like that same screen from jurassic park with all the dna things going across the screen like he reads that he's like oh i know exactly what this is i I feel like also like when they're doing prometheus that question must have been raised at some point where they're just like hey doesn't this tech kind of look too new based on the original like nah like screw it like full hologram rooms let's go ridley scott's like original i've never seen it let's move on (laughs) Uh, i would just like to say i'm surprised that jonesy survives this film um not necessarily just why didn't the alien kill him, but why didn't anybody else kill him <laughs> because he jumps I out so much? <laughs> You're a liability, this movie, Jonesy. <laughs> this movie is the reason I think why I don't like cats. <laughs> they're they're the harbingers of doom. It, Brett would have survived if the cat just came to him, <laughs> or at least a little, at least a little longer. Yeah, would have changed the outcome a little bit. Also, like, maybe I'm just lazy, but the whole, we'll get into it. But when the whole situation of Brett looking for Jonesy and he moves on, like, oh, it went around the corner. Let me get it. And he goes into the next room and then the cat's not there. I would have just called it. I would have been like, oh, cat's not here. I tried. And gone back and not, like, continued deeper and farther. And it's like four rooms, three floors. He's beyond this. Now, all of a sudden, he... There's like water coming down in the room he's in. I have no idea where he is. I feel like that totally would have been on character too, right? He just like walks away for five minutes, can't find the cat, comes back. He's like, yeah. (laughs) Right. He walks around the corner and he's just smoking and he's like, okay. It's like when you're working retail and he's like, yeah, I'll check the back room for you. Yeah, it comes back. Where's the cat? Eh, It's dead or something. (laughs) (laughs) Escaped. The ship? (laughs) A shuttle? Use the shuttle, you know, found an escape pod, left. It's a little cat carrier that uh, Sigourney Weaver just, like, throws it into, has jets on it, goes away. Final launch (laughs) sequence. Please place your opposable thumbs. (laughs) So when was the first time you guys saw Alien? Last night. (laughs) Now, I, years ago, um, I think it was, it's just considered one of the classics, I think, even aside from... Uh, there's no. a i know there's a lot of kind of uh, back and forth on is alien a horror movie or is it a sci-fi movie i really think it's yes. it's a sci-fi horror movie like i don't understand the people that argue that it's like well it's not horror it's sci-fi it can be two things yeah it follows it's a science fiction world but it follows the not tropes, but, you know, the storytelling of a horror film, a, a monster movie. It's a monster movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it, actually it, an argument people have. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, it does. It has all the classic, like, trappings of a horror film. You just swap out, you know, person with knife for alien, and it plays out in a very similar way. <laughs> well, for that matter, I mean, that even goes back to, like, an Agatha Christie of, um, what is it, like, and then there were none or Ten Little Indians, which I, I think might have been part of the discussion on getting some of the cast to join because they said horror films were, like, beneath them. 
and they explained like oh no 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 it's kind of like an agatha christie um book just because yeah it's you have a cast of people something is eliminating them one by one as they're going through the i think the only difference is you know what it is that's doing it and it's not like the mystery of oh a who done it it's who's going to be left huh that's a really cool way to pitch it <laughs> after watching the movie i don't know if they were actually 100% successful with that but that that would get me to sign on if i wasn't a fan <laughs> of horror films and <laughs> was an actor yeah, I forget who it was. It's probably like Ian Holm. And then they ask him like, okay, now this is the part where you're a robot and we're going to knock your head clean off. <laughs> Just like Attica Christie. <laughs> it did seem weird that he got casted because isn't he like a theater actor too? I have no idea. If you're I, British, I, you're automatically a theater actor. Like that's just, it's assumed. Well, I thought he was. I don't, I don't know. No, I'm just joking. I, I don't know. I mean, probably. The answer to that. Yeah, I mean, especially based on, you know, his age and his time period. I'm sure he was. It's just funny to think that he eventually becomes like Bilbo Baggins. Like, it's just, it's the same, same guy. It's just. I, I actually, for, I actually forgot that that's who it was. And when I was rewatching it, um, seeing his fight with Sigourney Weaver, I was like, no, Bilbo, get out of there. Use the <laughs> ring. It is the same energy as uh, when he tries to take the ring at Rivendell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that scene in Alien if she goes to attack him and all or Yavikato comes in to beat him over the head and he just puts on a ring and disappears and you're like, oh my god. This movie's going places I didn't expect. <laughs> also, evidently, it was Harry Dean Stanton that they convinced to join the film through that. Mm. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton played Brett. Wait, he was the theater actor? Yeah, he was the one. Well, no, he wasn't necessarily a theater actor. I don't know I'm like that kidding. history with him. Um, he had been doing... <laughs> the only other movie um, that immediately springs to mind is the christmas star where he plays an angel and then this and it's like oh this might be before that and he was in he was in the avengers too true yeah i think he was the the guard who ends up finding uh the hulk yep oh I mean, he was I also in he was a ton Thor. of other stuff like paris texas and all these other things and wow oh, none of that matters it's just it's just that one scene in marvel yeah, that was his shining achievement. <laughs> he found the pants for Hulk. <laughs> what about you guys? Oh, what was the question? First time alien. Oh, I have no idea. It's just one of those ever present with you. things. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Well, I I think I could say the first time I sat down and watched it start to finish was probably within the last ten years. Um. Before that, it was like pieces and pieces here and there. It's gorgeous. I think it's a gorgeous movie. The slow build is is excellent. And then you probably liken it to Jurassic Park and well, not before that, Jaws you and other would. movies that would um. <laughs> you could probably count on one hand the minutes uh, that the uh, alien is on screen, but that doesn't matter just because the characters, the setting, the everything that. Well, you just this is a classic movie just works i mean it it does kind of transcend the genre regardless of if you're into sci-fi or into horror i think it does fall in the line of something like a jaws or jurassic park or like indiana jones of just it's just a nigh perfect film um it's just essential viewing and i think we just never thought twice about it growing up of like oh yeah there's people who haven't seen alien those poor bastards <laughs> That boggles my mind. 
uh alien feels like like what dean was saying one of those movies that like you do catch in bits and pieces because it really is just like at least in like the mid to late 90s was on tv constantly and i feel like uh, that's probably when i saw it. i feel like one of the first times i saw it was on tv on like tbs or something like one of those now defunct movie stations the super station where like it took 12 watchings it's like trying to watch the original dune movie where it's just like it's four hours on tv so it's nine hours and you'll never see the whole thing i feel like you could see this on tv though just for the fact that other than the stuff with john hurt with like the the actual chest burster scene I don't remember there being any kind of explicit gore. Everything was a lot of just cutaways and things like that, or like shrouded in darkness that overall, it's not a gory movie. It, there's violence, but it's not gory. Like you don't need like a TV edit of Alien. I mean, I, I, there may be some things people would find disturbing, but it feels like such an easy cutaway, like tiny little cuts that you can make to, to trim it up. And, like, it's not, like, really aggressive language either. So it's not one of those, like, yippee mother trucker kind of situations. <laughs> and it's that's just, like... You don't find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of harsh language, but it's not enough that it's going to become, like, a Scarface edit. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would be... A, it's a really clean TV edit, and you don't lose much. Like, you yeah. don't lose the storytelling. You don't, like seeing the alien seeing bits and pieces of the alien like there's there's not a lot of violence there's not a lot of gore um so i think you know for that time period like seeing on tv is is probably not not bad it's just it takes forever to watch a movie on tv so like that's probably the first way i saw it until i eventually saw the whole thing later on i assume last night (laughs) like when i watched it last night i was just like man i haven't watched this in Boy, I have no idea, actually. They just cut all of the gore of the chest burster, so as soon as it jumps out of the egg at John Hurt, it just smash cuts to him getting the space burial. And you're like, oh, that's weird for a TV cut. Now just balloons just erupt out. <laughs> just get really advanced like AI edits of it and just like select this area, balloons. It just goes. As far as when you said other than the other day, you hadn't seen it in years. I think this one does get overshadowed a lot by like aliens gets played a lot more or usually that one gets thrown on more. But I think that's just more mindless fun of an action movie in the background. It's a second screen thing as opposed to sitting down and rewatching alien top to bottom. The problem with alien is that if you're not actively paying attention to it, it's not going to be scary. It's not going to lure you into that sense of dread that the crew members have the entire time because they never know around what corner the thing's going to be. And if you have aliens in the background, you can just casually glance over and it's like some cool action sequence and it's just center on action all the time. Whereas an alien, like even referencing the lack of gore, when Dallas gets killed in the vents, it's just... uh a jump scare with a loud noise and as silly as it looks, it's just the alien is now on the screen. He's yeah. He, he stretches his arms out like a hug and then it just cuts away. (laughs) The, 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 all of the threat and danger of the, give me a hug motion. (laughs) It sounds ridiculous, but you're right. Like if you were to look away for a second and look back, you would miss that Dallas even died. 
because there's yeah. no like prolonged death there's no like reference back it's just and gone well and then i mean it's in just the director's the cut did he <laughs> show me a body the worst bit i think is toward the end of the movie where you actually hear lambert screaming like that is one of the most haunting bits in the mm. entire thing. You know, Ripley's running to try to save him and you're just hearing her die over the loudspeaker the entire time. And then she lets out a final shriek and then it's just silence throughout the entire ship. And like that is not something that aliens comes close to being able to do, but it's just they're different movies. Mm, I, like, movies. I like that term to kind of describe alien like it, it's haunting, like. It is a horror movie, but it's not gory. It's not super overt. It's that haunted house. And I think that's that might be why you need to stick with it and you need to pay attention to it so much because you need to be kind of encapsulated in that feeling that the movie's putting out. Like you can't get bits of pieces of it. Even like with slasher films, like you don't really have to pay that much attention and you'll still get the gist of it and probably some of the jump scares. That's reductive and accurate. <laughs> When I worked at Blockbuster, there was a, a dad came in with his teenage daughter and he asked, you know, she's having a sleepover with her friends. I don't care what movie you pick, but just they want a horror recommendation. So I gave them Alien. And then when I gave her the DVD, she looked at it and kind of grimaced like, the fuck is this? Like, I don't want to watch this. And I could tell she was expecting something like Chain Texas Chainsaw, like Hills Have Eyes, like something a bit more modern and a lot more... I don't know, like shock value. But the look on the dad's face was like, this is perfect because she's never seen it. I know she's going to really enjoy it. And like his reaction to me suggesting alien was like, I could have asked for his daughter's hand in marriage and he would have said yes. Like that's how thrilled he was over this exact choice. And she was 12, which really speaks to a lot to <laughs> a power of alien. <laughs> and, and it's I funny because like fully declined, but you know, yeah, it's funny because you talk about like, recommending it for a new generation and what i love is that it's there's so i mean it's like entirely practical effects which age great <laughs> like especially in this like the the set design the way the alien looks like because none of it was relying on you know cgi or any type of like cutting edge for the time animation like it just it just works well and it just stays working well like yeah the technology looks antiquated but like that's kind of what they're going for anyway with that kind of like truck drivers in space kind of feel so i feel like it i've just seen works. that movie <laughs> space truckers oh it is it is that's no, an okay movie yeah <laughs> it, it is a movie <laughs> I, I liked it I, I remember catching it on hbo like what is this nonsense oh now i'm just was... thinking about a specific gas-powered situation from that film i do not want to think about well like you mentioned like space truckers it it is essentially like it is truckers in space this whole thing because it's a mining ship but it really is that like blue collar horror of just like yes it's in space yes it's in the future but it's just working man's horror um throughout the entire thing which i think is more relatable than if it was a a science team going out there and finding alien life it's just yep you're doing a job if i was on earth and asked to clean out a building and i go to clean out a building and i'm like oh that's weird there's something in this box same difference maybe that's why alien covenant and prometheus didn't really hit the same chord as this one did 
I can't speak on Aliens or Alien 3 only because of just these three movies are all Ridley Scott specifically. But Covenant did not give me that vibe of Everyman, and it seemed like another generic slasher that's Alien-themed. And then Prometheus had a lot of good... Um, had like a good foundation but i feel it wasn't able to really pull through i feel like it also explains why some of the characters make some uninformed decisions like they're just a bunch of like truckers in space like they don't know what they're doing or why they're what there. are you trying to say <laughs> i mean that's why they you, all make you, dumb decisions they all have I mean, public educations <laughs> <laughs> but like you compare it to like a lot of the complaints people had from prometheus right and you have this like cutting edge science team where they're all like the best in their field doing really really dumb stuff that doesn't make any sense i assure you anybody on the nostromo would have zigzagged rather than running in a straight line if they were in prometheus well i mean in that, it, i mean but when they do make smart decisions you kind of champion those characters like yeah. and when they make dumb decisions you're like yeah i mean all right that seems legitimate like you just drive <laughs> the bus like when you <laughs> hey i would have done it too yeah it's like i probably would have done that thing it's like when um like when they first get to the when they first get to the planet and um um man i'm spacing on names um lv426 yeah lv426 and they're like get to the main chamber with the eggs and you know the character falls down like into the egg pit i'm like yeah sure probably it's like there's mist you're like a sticky floor yeah you probably wouldn't be that careful so we have Alien, released in 1979, and it was released in theaters during the height of sci-fi space popularity from Star Wars. This was directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon. Alien brings to the forefront a slasher movie where, in space, no one can hear you scream. Alien premiered on May 25th, 1979, and released on June 22nd, earning $184 million at the box office with only, I don't know, I don't trust this, but only in an $11 million budget, which is insane. Was that, was that $79, $11 million? I think so. Yeah. Also, I assume the box office is international, like worldwide, not like an opening weekend deal. Yeah, no, it did not make $184 million <laughs> by Sunday, and no one saw the movie again. It's like everyone already had. Well, I've seen it 36 times. Massive hype. I think it opened against The Brood. Um, oh, I didn't actually look at what it opened against. Because I know, I think the, the Brood was around that time, because that was Cronenberg. But it was a much different horror movie than this one. We'll, we'll not get into that, but it's... It's interesting to just think back to all of these movie releases and hear all of the stuff that came out in a given month and think, oh yeah, like five classic films all released. You can go to the theater and see like four films that are still considered like classics to this day. And I, every time we mention it, I can't think about that nowadays of being like, oh, a random day in march or may and going to a theater and thinking oh yeah there's four films that people are going to be watching 40 years from now excitedly yeah, like the summer of 97 that had like five or six massive blockbusters all in a row yeah good times so this movie does have a ton of behind the scenes documentaries and deep dives um I didn't have enough time to watch any of them, but I will recommend watching as much of it as you can if you are into either movie making or just alien in general or both. In 2003, um, a quadrility box set was made 
and it had you know alien one two three and the the fourth one this set also had a lot of documentaries attached to each movie and behind the scenes stuff like almost to the same caliber as the lord of the rings box set does and i felt the making of the movie itself is like nothing kind of new or extraordinary but it's actually like the pre-production for alien specifically is where all the documentaries truly shine because this thing pretty much started off as just a script waiting on the top of a pile until it was noticed after Star Wars came out. Because at the time leading up to it, no one wanted a sci-fi epic. It was stupid. I don't want anything in space. Star Wars comes out and then the studio's like, we need more space stuff. What do you got? What do you got? Yeah, because I think it originally spun off because Dan O'Bannon worked with John Carpenter on Dark Star and had like a cheap little alien in that movie. And then it was... But what if it was more like serious and scary and then it ultimately resulted in the screenplay for this one? So uh, one big one that's currently streamable now is called Memory, The Origins of Aliens, and it is on Peacock. And it covers like Dan O'Bannon's journey to getting to write Alien and everything leading up to that point in time. So if you're looking for Alien specifically, it's not going to be very heavy influenced into it, but only because Alien is the end journey to that. And then everything leading up to it is what that movie will cover. I, I still think they should have kept Dan O'Bannon's original like uh, title for the uh, the screenplay uh, and just run with that. I mean, he was never happy with it, but I thought Star Beast would have been a great title for the film. <laughs> Star Beast. Star Beast. Star Beasts. Star Beast. Cubed. Star Beast Resurrection. Star I mean, it, you know, it, I like Star Beasts. Star Beasts would have been great. <laughs> uh, director's cuts were made for all of the Alien movies, though Ridley Scott had said, and there were all the director's cuts were made for that 2003 quadrility box set. Though I found out Ridley Scott said that his theatrical cut was his director's cut, so I think he made this director's cut begrudgingly, and he didn't really want to do it. I never knew that until I think last night when I saw it. And I decided instead of watching the director's cut like I usually do, I'm going to watch the theatrical cut. And it was definitely a noticeable difference compared to seeing it as um, the theatrical versus the director's cut. There were differences enough. And the funny thing is, is usually when you think of a director's cut, it's always going to be longer. Where in this case, the theatrical cut is actually the one that's longer. The, the mm -hmm. director's cut is like 30 or 50 seconds shorter in terms of runtime and even and additional scenes were added too which was the ironic part i feel like ridley scott probably has the most versions of his movies because between this and blade i mean blade runner i think i had like a collector's briefcase of 48 discs of different cuts of blade <laughs> runner alone uh not counting any of the alien series this one we just removed a shot where we didn't like Harrison Ford's hair. <laughs> <laughs> the the number of times that like Blade Runner fans debate like, well, did you see the ending of this version? Because on this version, it kind of seems like Harrison Ford might be a replicant. This version, Harrison Ford's not in it. Oh, <laughs> what did I? I watched whatever's on Hulu. It's an yeah, hour. It's the theatrical says, cut. Yeah, it says an hour fifty seven minutes. Yep. They're both I, an hour and 57 minutes, but the problem is one's an hour and 57 minutes and 43 seconds, and oh. the other one is an hour and 53 minutes, and yeah. We should have rounded up. 
What if they kept it the exact same time? They just removed some scenes or shortened scenes to add other ones in. So looking at the runtime, you'd never be able to know which one you were watching. No, that's that's literally what they did. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, good on you. The biggest takeaway I felt was in the theatrical cut, there's a lot of sweeping shots of just exterior or like hallway shots or just characters doing stuff that's not really important. It's just, oh, Ash is on the computer. He's doing stuff. They cut it. Like, you know, he's doing stuff in the director's cut, but we're not constantly going back to him, seeing him do the same thing, just a different segment of that shot. The director's cut is a lot more to the point, I guess. And they're able to cut out maybe about a minute and a half worth of footage to re-add different scenes completely. And there's only two big scenes that were added in and I'll go over them as we go over the movie. But out of the two scenes that they were, that were added into the movie, I felt only one of them was good enough to actually kind of, I feel stay in it. And then the other one, not so much. And it's not even treated as Canon either, considering on how um, aliens doesn't reference it whatsoever. And then also it, it took inspiration for some of the scenes. Like with the the woman being hung up into the wall and then, you know, she's like, kill me. And then the thing burst out of her chest. That was taken inspiration from the alternate ending for Alien, but I didn't really care for it that much with the continuity of the rest of the film anyway. Knowing how the second and third one play out, it doesn't have as much of a bearing, I feel. Ripley's got enough PTSD by the time Aliens start that we don't need to add anything more. <laughs> was she still on the clock for all of this also or was it like a pay per contract it's per contract and it was null and void when she decided to blow up the ship yeah oh that's true i mean for ripley like all all of alien whole thing is basically just one really long bad day <laughs> yeah true it's just like on this on the nostromo alien go to sleep wake up different place aliens it's like <laughs> go to sleep wake up alien again different There's place more than like, one david fincher's <laughs> alien again she just keeps going into cryo sleep and waking up with Wait, aliens paul riser's <laughs> in aliens right yes like does she i for never mind. Uh, i was gonna get into the whole yeah discussion. when he gets like, the face hugger and he tells ripley just shoot me i was just gonna say that like that's a paul riser joke for anybody who knows him I don't know him personally. Anybody his she, works. Obviously she hates the company, but she just forced into that situation, right? Obviously she just don't choose to be there. I just refresh my memory. Why didn't she just murder Paul Reiser at the beginning of the movie? Well, he wasn't a company stooge oh, oh, oh. up to that point. Yeah, I haven't seen it's he was a, a nice company stuff. stooge, but he wasn't a like a backstabbing company stooge. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's like that boss you like until things go wrong. <laughs> yeah and then they and then throw like, you into oh, the boss really? except in this case the boss is a thousand aliens because <laughs> I, I actually talked about that last night like why the hell did she bother going back the second time she's like well she didn't want to go and just she was like no one should be there and then she's like all right well if you guys aren't going to listen to me i'm going to prove it to you and i'm the only one that knows what the hell i'm talking about so yeah i'm going to show up everybody i mean in that regard, in this day and age, in this housing market, if I had a horrible experience and then I was told, like, we'll pay you double, I'd be like, mm, okay, I'll go. 
It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll do a lot for money in this economy, which <laughs> if we learned anything from watching Alien, it's a pretty bad economy there. Yeah. Wait, do we know it's a bad economy? Well, let's talk about the bonus situation. I know. I mean, for them to talk about bonuses that much and that and like in close proximity, uh, clearly HR uh, has not given them enough talks on they, not discussing your pay. They, they can't be doing that bad if they're still getting bonus payouts. Well, engineering doesn't get a bonus for some reason. I don't understand that. They had 20 million tons of ore. Hope they got paid the Had. Well, I guess they don't anymore. But I wonder if it was just raw, or it was just like they landed on a planet and just did like a like a vending crane machine style claw goes into it, <laughs> scoops up a bunch of the dirt, and then just throw it in the back of the truck and then just leave. Well, it was it funny just when sifts I was it out like a giant gold pan. When I was watching it last night, I was kind of having this internal debate: Were they actually the miners, or are they just the pickup truck? That's a don't good point. Know. That like just goes and gets it. it like when I was that watching might, it, I was, I was truck. yeah. They were when towers. I was watching it, I was like, they're just like the truck driver at the construction site that picks up the rocks, right? I it think it seems a bit much though to have a crew of that many people to drive one truck. But I mean, I don't know. It's a big like, truck. Have, well, it's the need of a science <laughs> officer when you have a just a payload of stuff. I bet that's what Sigourney was wondering. It seemed like too. they were or yeah. Ripley. They were towing like a small city. Like, this, was like compared enormous. to the actual size of their ship. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think, I think the ship was built in a way that it will also process on its way. So instead of it just I mean, sitting it must, there yeah. the entire time it, while they're asleep, because I don't know how long the trip is from wherever the pickup point is back to Earth. But if it's long enough that they go in a cryo sleep for, it's at least like maybe five plus months one way. So that's a year straight where the stuff can just be processing that whole time. Right. Well, also at one point when they head to the, the moon, don't they show a shot of Saturn? No, it just happens to be uh a no, that's Saturn like planet the, with a ring. Yeah. Yeah. That's L V four two six because it's got like five well, Saturn has the most moons in our solar system, but yeah. Um Saturn like it's got a several moons that are pretty close, but I don't I don't know. But yeah, it was just, it's a separate system. So if they're in a cryosleep and they're not in the solar system, they've got to figure out, they've figured out some kind of fast travel then, right? Let's well, what they do, and I can <laughs> yeah, explain they never it, talk they need about to fold two pages over each other and stick a pen through the middle. Yeah, Aliens is one of the few sci-fi uh, movie series that never really go over their space travel technique. It's not important, but it just it just lets you, us debate shit about it. Ash, since you're the science officer, how does this all work? Screw you. That's why. <laughs> it's like they don't. They actually don't have faster than light travel. They're in cryosleep for 170 years. <laughs> the people who sent them on the mission are well dead by the time they get back. Well, the my money, kids will pay you double. They're all concerned about their contracts because the people who hired them will be dead by the time they get back. They won't even know if there's a company anymore. No, I mean, that's a real like plant a tree situation. <laughs> Their wages will be like they were paid for a year, but in the, with inflation, we're like this is like a week's pay. <laughs> what about a bonus? <laughs> you didn't adjust for cost of living in sixty cryo sleep years. <laughs> That's on you, buddy. 
That's the real reason uh, Ripley went back in Aliens. Her contract wasn't good for inflation. <laughs> Call your union rep, buddy. <laughs> so here we have a loaded cast. We have Tom Skerritt playing the Captain Dallas, William Hurt playing Kane, Ian Holm as Ash, the science officer, Harry Dean Stanton and Yafit Kato as Parker and Brett, the maintenance techs, Veronica Cartwright as Lambert, and the true star and lead of the Alien franchise, Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley. The titular alien, played by Balaji Barejo, his only acting credit, whom sadly passed in 1992 at the age of 39 due to sickle cell disease. And although not an actor, the production design of the derelict ship and alien itself is credited to H.R. Giger. It looks it. I don't even know H.R. Giger's work, except that it's like, they say it's like alien. So that's, well, I think I want to hear H.R. Giger. Yeah, honestly, if you pick up any of his art books, you'll just be like, oh, this is alien. <laughs> Jonathan Davis commissioned a mic stand from Giger too. So whenever oh, that... you see Korn performing and the mic stand that he's using with like that metallic woman. Oh, that's, that's, Giger. that's Giger's design. Yeah. Interesting. I also never realized until watching it this time that Jerry Goldsmith did the music for this. He did. It's gold, Jerry Gold Smith. He's become like a personal favorite after showing up on so many of these episodes now between like monster squad legend now alien curious george three wait 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 which one (laughs) (laughs) you know that old classic was that the david fincher one (laughs) where george falls backwards into lava at the end just like one like monkey middle finger just So our movie starts with the eerie score by Jerry Goldstein as the title slowly fades in, an undecipherable text of lines slowly forming the word alien. I did like how that was um, done for the intro itself. It was very... I feel no other movie has like an opening like that, and it definitely helps it make it stand out and be that much more memorable. Because nowadays, whenever a title card comes through, it's just like you want to rush past it but this one i feel it kind of eases you into the world and movie that you're about to watch because you know what word it's going to say but it's just that anticipation of waiting star beast but like i like how it keeps the beginning kind of mysterious because we know it's alien which i i kind of almost wish they didn't call the film alien just because for the entire first third of the movie i feel like it doesn't it's not obviously set up that way that you're like, oh, this is going to turn into like a monster movie type thing. It could have just been anything. We could have called this thing like Voyager or Passenger or like whatever. Um, but I like that it has this kind of like mysterious, sinister music. And it's just a lot of these very vague, sweeping shots of space and the ship and just kind of getting used to this empty space. Yeah, the whole set production is so unnerving. And it's, and it's funny, like, as you get deeper into the film, like, showing the ship and showing the insides of the ship and having like these long pans and like stills of the interiors like the the design of everything is so creepy and unnerving like you know the funny thing for me you know that shot in the very beginning where the computer kicks on and you see the reflection on that helmet and it's put over a button and you see the button through the helmet that shot scares me and freaks me out more than the alien creature design itself. <laughs> it is so kind of like unnerving, unnerving seeing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the whole it's masterfully set up with the lighting and camera movement and lack 
of camera movement in places that just kind of tells you like something's going to happen something's going to go very wrong here it's just at the end of the movie we forget about it and all of a sudden like ripley's just laying there and then that helmet just all of a sudden like stands up and walks away and you're like <gasps> that <laughs> was the alien us. the whole time so that is how the movie starts um there's a lot of sweeping shots of the interior of the ship we see the nostromo it's a commercial towing vessel with massive with a massive cargo of minerals on its way back to earth um here it really showcases the original special effects from back then as well it's all practical miniatures shot against the screen and they're able to shoot it in a way that it just it i feel it looks more real in that shot than you know anything that's space related made nowadays it's just i know that's a cgi shot of a spaceship and it's hard to take that away you know it's just i know that's a computer generated thing and my mind just knows immediately but watching the old miniature stuff i don't get that feeling like that lack of gloss and polish does it like its benefit of just seeming real yeah and it just it ages so well yeah because lighting a actual physical object like that light is not going to start like one day to look worse (laughs) like like it's actually lit (laughs) We enter the empty ship, and you can tell the coal just clings on all the metallic surfaces as we get to the cockpit. Computer kicks on, and some really lo-fi warbling, and the lights of the crew quarters kick on. And here we can see that the crew of the ship, asleep in cryo, while they travel to the next, wherever they're going. Um, the The cryo tubes open up, and the crew members slowly wake up. And then it cuts to them all eating some kind of breakfast, all talking over each other. But the entire scene does feel completely natural with all of their camaraderie. I really like how Parker chimes in on the bonus situation, you know, and it's just the way that they're going back and forth. Like the second he brings it up, like the table grows cold, like, oh, shit, he brought it up and he doesn't want to talk. No one else wants to really talk about it. I like Parker and Brett because they really just feel like those two guys at every job I've worked that have been there longer than a lot of people. And it's just, yeah, I do my job. I know my job. I hate my job. Yep. But as they're all talking, the whole discussion's cut short because Mother, the onboard ship computer AI, indicates that a message is pending for Dallas to go check it out. So while he does that, the crew go to the bridge, getting ready to port to dock on Earth. But they quickly realize that they're not home yet. What the hell are we doing out here? What are you talking about? That's not our system. I know that. And then that's when Dallas calls a meeting, explaining exactly why they aren't home yet. And a distress call was intercepted, and the ship woke up the crew to check it out. I loved in the scene where, like, Lambert and Ripley are, like, trying to contact Earth and being like, hey, we're coming in for landing, Antarctica base. Like, where are you? And, like, the genuine, like, fear of, like, wait, why aren't they picking up? Like, wait, where are we? When it's just like, yeah, space space is just terrifying on its own. Like, you wake up, you don't know where you are. Like, that's a a real problem in space. That is not like, that's not like, that's not like a road trip problem. That's like, oh, no. You contact Earth and all of a sudden it just like goes to voicemail and you're like, oh, no, they're screening our call. (laughs) (laughs) Circle around. I I feel like space and deep, deep, like undersea stuff are the two most horrifying things for subject matter. 
Because once like, you get down far enough, place. it's essentially you might as well be in space. Yeah. yeah, it's like if anything goes wrong, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, space. It'll just get in. You can't bail out space. <laughs> space? Nope. It's gonna get you. Captain, there's too much space in the ship. We've got to get it out. <laughs> I like how you can tell Ripley and Lambert don't like each other. They're professional about it, but they definitely don't like each other. I wonder if that's entirely acting or because I had read something about how Veronica Cartwright originally went thinking that she had gotten the role of Ripley and then I guess got to London and then found out that, no, you're Lambert, you're not Ripley. Oh, it wasn't that like it was she wasn't even told she got the part. She went in for costume fitting and then she realized the costume that she was putting on is not Ripley's. Oh, it Ripley Lambert, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> this name patch is, is just all wrong. So here, um, during the meeting, he explains that um, they intercepted a transmission. It's like some kind of distress signal and they were ordered to go check it out. And I like how Parker here just argues like It's not my contract to do this kind of duty. And what about the money? If you want to give me some money to do, I'd be happy to, you know, right. Let's go over the bonus situation. We never can we, can we just talk about the bonus situation. Sorry, can I say something? Let's talk about the bonus. And he gets stopped cold in his tracks because Ash is like, you know, we're all contractually contractually obligated to check this out. So if you don't go, we don't get paid. I don't want to hear it. We don't know that's intelligent. I want to go home and party. And it immediately kind of changes his whistle. Best motivation ever. <laughs> Which also, what mining contract says, hey, also while you're mining, if you receive any SOS signals, you have to go investigate them and perform a rescue mission? It was this time that I watched it that I feel this was planned from the very beginning. Oh, it oh, definitely yeah. was. Like, Ash was there for, like, the entire mission yeah. was a an ulterior motive. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, oh, you know, as part of your mining contract, you have to act as a rescue mission for these. It's like, hey, you know, you're a DoorDash driver, um, but if you come across somebody who has a life-threatening injury, you have to perform surgery on them. I think they looked at it like an insurance company does a double indemnity clause where it's like, <laughs> oh, this, there's no chance of this happening. I don't care if this is in my contract because it, it's not going to happen. And of course, yeah, they engineered it to happen, but um, yeah, I think they just, it's probably just like, yeah, this, this we don't have to worry about this. Because I always wondered, because immediately after the discussion, you know, they, they separate the main ship from the cargo, they enter the atmosphere, they land, and it does so in the worst way possible. I don't, I don't get it, because when you're watching it land, it looks so standard, standard operating procedure. Like, this is how you not land a ship on an alien planet. But, like, the ship explodes from the inside. <laughs> and I never understood that until watching it this time around, because I'm like, I don't get why the ship broke, since the landing looks so ordinary. And I wonder if the company knew that the ship would be close enough that they intentionally sabotaged the landing gear to it cause additional damage to the ship to force them to stay longer on that planet. Mm -hmm. Or just like one of those things like Ash did in a scene that they never actually filmed. Yeah. Because it's like, it's clear from the beginning, or well, not from the beginning, but like once you find out about Ash, it's like, oh yeah, it's very clear that he obviously didn't make this decision or get this order midway through all of this it was this was his primary directive and they say it later on in the movie too that 
um, Ripley's like, oh, I don't trust Ash. And Dallas says, you know, I don't trust him either. He he was reassigned to our ship two days before we left port. Oh, yeah. So that's where it was like a huge red flag to me because I've seen the movie dozens of times, but never actually truly paying oh, really? attention from start to finish. Yeah, that's what no, I'm I mean, like, like that, oh. It's the first time you like that yeah. hits you. It would, and it's so funny because like, because it's so funny because Ash wasn't originally in the screenplay. Like he was something that was added much later, but when production was starting and like, it, it feels like sometimes in scenes you can almost feel that he's extra, but like is such an important part. This like, um, like this traitor element that like makes so much of the movie actually work that right. like, I wonder yeah. when he wasn't part of it, like, how did how did they connect this together? Or maybe that was the problem and why he was added. I think that adds even perfectly to it, because later on in the movie, she's like, yeah, I've been watching you. You've been doing exactly that this entire time. Nothing. Nothing. So that because of his added role into this, it's like, well, we can't fit him into the scene. Well, like, don't worry about it. Mm. Just make sure that he's there and present quip every now and then where necessary. But he's not going to be a main um component in this story until mid to late of this movie and it makes a lot of sense but it does suck because later on when the the team split we don't follow ash and we barely see him through the entire movie except for like two or three scenes where it's just he's a scumbag (laughs) yeah in hindsight he really is just kind of like a story beat he's not really he doesn't influence things directly He's kind of uh, just like explains why things are happening sometimes. I mean, he lets the alien in. He keeps the vase hugger. <laughs> he tries to. He does you know, prevent. Um, <laughs> what's his name? Parker from stabbing it. Oh, I guess that's pen. true. Yeah. <laughs> With a was it a? Pen. I don't. I don't know what it was, but he. I love that he just grabs the nearest sharp object next to him. It didn't look like a knife. I don't think it was like a any kind of utensil, but it was just. He's grabs it and he's like ready to stab it. <laughs> he should have lived. He really does. Like year years later, the other movie that this all reminds me of is Event Horizon in terms of like the the blue collar like space workers. But Ash is the Sam, or rather the Sam Neil role is the Ash role um, in that too. I think it's just space movies need some sort of sinister element that is within their own group to push them towards like this inevitable end. And I think Ash does that without truly doing it like blatantly. Like, yeah, there's a point when they're, they're in the ship on LV 46 and Ripley's like, wait, this might be a warning call. And he's like, why bother telling them or going, you know, it's, by the time they, by the time you get there, they're already they'll know whether it's a warning or or not. There's a sound effect for that, because <laughs> that definitely when he said that, I'm like, wait a minute, that's that's some sussy type shit right there. It's true. In in hindsight, he's so suspicious. Like everything he says, when when Dallas is like, oh well, we better try and remove it. He's like, wait though. It's like what? Yeah. Why? <laughs> he could he could die or he could something. Die. Hey, 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 hear me out. But what if we don't? 
<laughs> why you though? You hear Parker in the background too. Like, just why don't we freeze him? He says it like a dozen I times, know. and it makes so much sense until you realize that uh, yeah, Ash doesn't watch. He doesn't watch it too. Yeah, actually, I wonder how that would have worked if they. It, it probably would have worked real well. <laughs> yeah, we don't know how much the company knows about the alien life form yet though that's the only thing and i know ripley or i know ridley scott is trying to go against and rewrite canon with the final alien movie that he's making but who knows because so much of it doesn't make as much sense anymore compared to what it just used to be of the unknown because now explaining on how this is like david's creation and i don't know a plot that feels like time travel yeah i think it kind of ruins it the more we explain yeah it really does lose its edge because of not knowing anything about these things and then alien covenant coming in and seeing how david basically engineered these guys to be what they are it's just there's now he's he's creating more questions that don't need to be answered and in turn is just making it worse i don't know because this last movie or whatever is that a continuation of the prequel series because it's prometheus covenant and then this so it's like, if is it's this Ridley going to... Scott, then yes. Ah, okay. Because I was going to say, like, is this one going to tie into, like, we're going to send them out on a mission <laughs> and it's going to be the Nostromo as, like, the ending frame? Going to I wouldn't be surprised if they do, like, a Revenge of the Sith type of, like, ending where you know that's exactly where it's going to go next. Like, one of the last lines in the ship is like, hey, you know, there's a commercial towing vessel that's going to be crossing kind of close by in that direction. Should we have them check it out? Yes. Send our new android prototype out there, and then, like, the door opens up, and you see Ian Holmes' dead face there. It's like a CGI Bretton Parker walking to the ship being like, I just want to get back and party. And you're like, oh, it's no. Like, Did you ask about the bonuses? <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask when we get back. <laughs> I'm willing I to forget everything a, if he did that. Which just a more benign ending where it's just it just randomly ends at a ship construction site and with a stupid little conversation and they they zoom in the guy's like chiseling the name of the ship in and it's like god. Nostromo and you're like, Oh, oh god. Should this be <laughs> the Yestromo? How about the Nostromo? It's just like a super cringe reference, and you're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> or if it's just, you see Jonesy, yeah, like, Jonesy. just running onto a ship. Say that. What's this cat's name? It's Jonesy. <laughs> he jumps at the just camera. punts him before he gets on, you're like, oh, it's not the Nostromo. <laughs> we find out that David created the cat because he was bored and lonely. Yeah, the cat is actually David. <laughs> the cat's an android he put his brain in <laughs> well the way the cat like just sadistically watches brett get murdered <laughs> just like watching passively like yeah classic cat <laughs> well, the, i think jonesy is in what like two novelizations or something like that and then i think dlc for alien isolation or like <clears throat> some other project too jonesy is in just as many things as ripley at that point Mm-hmm. You can play as Jonesy in Isolation. No, in Dead by yeah, it's Daylight. Like that game Stray. Oh, <laughs> why can't you play in Dead by Daylight? Me. <laughs> soon, Tim. Soon. 
Someday. I just haven't gotten that contract yet, but considering everyone else in Dead by Daylight. So Lambert, Dallas, and Kane get in their exosuits and walk out to the source of the signal, which is about two kilometers away. It did not look like walking distance the way that uh, – who asked? One of, someone asked. Kane, maybe? I Everything's I walking distance if you have the time. Well, I mean, when looking it up, it was like fucking the hobbits had an easier time getting to Mordor once they got in it. Or Mount Doom once they got into Mordor. Kane, Dallas, and Lambert take the eagles to um, the egg hatching room. See a moth fly by. So while they're off uh, flying, so while they're off flying, flying, once they're off going <laughs> to the source of the signal, Ripley visits Ash on the bridge and she asks like, hey, can I help start decoding the signal? And Ash is just like, whatever, sure. And then finally, um, meanwhile, the away team actually gets close enough to see the source of the signal, and it's a massive derelict spaceship. Ash, can you see this? Yes, I can. They make their way inside, finding the space jockey inside a massive room, and that's where it's like this massive, giant thing sitting in a chair. Humanoid. It's so Um, much more impressive than when they go back to this idea in, like, Prometheus and whatnot. Like, this has this, like, large feeling and this large scope that it just makes you feel uncomfortable seeing it. And it looked real, too. It actually looked like an ancient dead thing. Yeah. It's it's funny, watching it again, they... I thought they spent more time on that, like, that area and that room than they actually did. When I saw the scene, I was just like, oh, that was it? It's like, wow, that really (laughs) stuck with me. I mean, way more than that scene lasts. What else is going on in their universe that they walk in, see this giant alien creature, like, sitting in a seat at a telescope, they just look and do... Huh. And then just continue on. (laughs) (laughs) See one of those every week. Yeah, I don't know if aliens exist in this universe. It's never explicitly said. There's intergalactic uh, space travel, but there's no explicit use of aliens of like, you know, this person is not human versus just this person's from that planet. Doesn't Ash reference when they're kind of dissecting the dead facehugger isn't he doesn't he say something like this is like the first specimen or something of this kind i think he says it's the first oh is it of this kind yeah oh, like, okay I, that was just gonna be my question like how many aliens are in this how many aliens live <laughs> in this I know world in the sequel they there's locker room talk about you know having sex with arcturians <laughs> but oh. who knows what that means <laughs> Because they can just be extremely like a sexualized planet where no matter who you're having sex with, if it's male or female, it doesn't matter if it's Octarian baby. Yeah, it's just like a space colony that they have somewhere. Yeah. And I don't or they can be robots. I mean, who the hell knows? Like I I truly have no idea if those are um of human descent, so to speak. And yeah. I don't look to any of the comics and stuff like that in ter- for canon. So I'm I'm sorry about, I was about to mention the comics. I was going to say, yeah. like, well, in the comics, they don't talk about other other alien species, and, I, and they never show them except for like real, real late when like the aliens come to Earth and they take over the planet, and then another alien species comes and it gets real weird. But <laughs> so I was curious, so I looked up Arcturians. Arcturians. Well, I was going to say an actual thing, but they were an existing <laughs> idea. <laughs> they're, they're real. Ask me how. <laughs> 
but yeah, like they're the I guess some American hypnotherapist or something from 1928 ended up having this idea, like, according to the beliefs of certain New Age movements, Arcturians are a very advanced extraterrestrial civilization from the solar system of Arcturus, who wish to share their knowledge and wisdom with the citizens of Earth. So evidently, it was already something that was like, out there, out there, um, kind of in the the consciousness of the world. So they probably just had that as a either a throwaway Easter egg or just as a joke in aliens. So they share their knowledge of the universe with people with their genitals. With their, their genitals. carnal knowledge of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, Nick, that's not how you share knowledge with people? I don't understand. <laughs> so the the whole James Cameron like mind link thing that they do in avatar that's a use of euphemism for sex he was he he was on to something <laughs> actually makes a lot of sense now why are you having an orgasm i'm trying to tell you the secrets of the universe <laughs> it's like pay attention i need to tell you about this banking stuff think about baseball i'm trying to tell you the universe secrets should i thrust less is this what is causing this <laughs> is they see that um the thing's chest exploded outward as if something erupted out from the inside meanwhile lambert um really doesn't want anything to do with this place in fact it sounds like through the whole movie she's just having a bad time even before (laughs) the alien shows up so uh, she wants to leave but dallas and kane press forward Back on the Nostromo, um, this is where Ripley decoded enough the transmission to see that it's not an SOS distress call, but it's actually a warning. And then this is when Ash mentions to her, like, well, there's no point in trying to alert the rest of the crew, because if, well, by the time you get there, it's going to be too late if it is. I got to say, I love how long it takes to, like, decrypt a message that they get when I'm just thinking it's like, 12th century sailing ships had better way to send messages than these guys do in space it's like they just use different colored flags (laughs) and then they they can't reach them and then they don't make any attempt well we don't know this but on film anyway the thing happens they get back to the ship and that's like at least a 15 20 minute walk but they never attempt to talk back to the ship that entire time on their way back. You'd think like, hey, you know, something attacked Kane. We need help. Get something ready. It's just, no, it's radio silence until they're right at the front door again. Don't tell them. Uh, I want to divert for a second, but I haven't seen Prometheus. I would like to watch it just to know, you know, just just to see it. There's a famous school that was based on that movie. I, I was say the only reason to watch it is to know. There's nothing else. <laughs> but... Did did Wayland you what is it Utari you how do you say Utani. Utani Utani were they a part yeah. of that like did are they the ones that are aware of the learn about this oh no never mind don't so, answer that question so well the thing with Wayland Utani is that Wayland Utani is a creation of Jim Cameron and Ridley Scott doesn't like to play with his toys so when he made Prometheus and also alien covenant he made no mention of yutani it's just wayland gotcha and that's it yeah um i guess sorry i guess where i was going was either so the company knows about the alien had some kind of contact with it did they this is more just speculative questioning did they know that the ship 
would receive the signal, therefore have to answer it, or do they just implant some kind of fake signal? I guess with Ripley being like, it's a warning, like, tells me that they knew the signal was just being broadcast and the ship would pick it up. Because why would they send a warning? Like, give <laughs> Why would they program a warning? Don't come to this planet, there's an alien kind of message in there if they wanted them to go see it. But I guess they just knew that it would get picked up at that point. No, good question. We won't know until the third movie, if, if <laughs> at all. they dispel all the, the last of the mysteries. Yeah, and it's something I've thought about. Yeah, we don't know what... Because uh... just it's, it raises a lot of questions. Like, why would David get another ship? Like, it, there's no name for it, just like the engineer ship. But the most common name for it is the derelict ship. But why would he get another one of those after crash landing the first one that he got, the only one that he got? He gets another one and then fills it with just alien eggs. And then how does it get to LV-426? And then someone just blast off a warning signal. But who set that off? And is it an Earth-based signal or is it the ship actually sending out a warning signal? We don't know. Yeah, because it, it really doesn't make any sense because, like, the derelict ship in Alien is almost identical to the derelict ship in Prometheus. And it's like, yeah. was, was David's intention he was just going to do the same thing that the engineer was thinking about doing and bringing the aliens to Earth and he just didn't make it? Or, like, is David on the ship? Is, is he in the engineer suit? <laughs> <laughs> He's just like a tiny little guy in the suit, just like, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that might be it. I think we cracked the, the third movie. <laughs> That's probably it. You're welcome, Hollywood. Kane finds an egress in the ground, and with the assistance of Dallas and Lambert, the, he descends down into this massive cargo hold filled with hundreds and hundreds of these leathery egg-looking things. I feel like that's There's what you just nope. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, as soon as you see it moving. A fine layer... And, and the best part is like, ooh, what's this? Let me get my head closer to it. Like, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, if you see one, okay, maybe investigate. If I see hundreds and hundreds of anything, and then I realize like, hey, there's something moving in this one. That means there's something moving in all of these. I'm leaving. Yeah, hundreds of anything is terrifying. Like, I can be on a hike, and if I see more than like 10 squirrels, I'm probably going to turn around. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, there's an ant. Oh, there's hundreds of ants. I would be like, yeah, okay. There's there's a top limit for any creature where I'm just turning around. <laughs> like, Oh, birds, a duck. Birds, Another I think duck. we're more forgiving. Birds, you can have hundreds of those. and Yeah, they're just Well, if they remain in the sky. <laughs> if I walked downstairs to my car and it was covered by hundreds of birds. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know about you, Dean, but I see one Canada goose and I'm like, yeah, probably not. Yeah, no, no thanks. Congratulations on your new Hyundai Elantra. Thank you. <laughs> goose are the worst. I just had the oil changed. Uh, should be good for another 6,000 miles. Uh, it takes premium. So there's a fine layer of mist covering each compartment where all the eggs are. And then I guess, can't, I don't, I don't know. Like a series of unfortunate events later, Kane <laughs> slips closer to the eggs, and then when he's really close to it, he's like fascinated to see that there's movement coming from within the translucent egg, which also, fun fact, the alien egg poster looks nothing like the actual egg that's in the movie. The opening springs open, and then he, of course, looks in closer, and... 
something latches onto his helmet. I think everything involving the xenomorphs, the egg, the face hugger, the alien itself, is like an all-time perfect creation of effects work. Like, I can't yeah. think of anything that, oh, well, this actually probably would have been better if they did X, Y, Z. It's just all of this is perfect in this film. Because that egg, just seeing it, is one of the few things that just seeing, I'm just like, hmm, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that. Funny you say that because I was active, as I watched that, I'm actively looking at the egg. Like, how do they do this? Like, how do they make this look? I know it's it just a, a translucent something and there's a creature, but I'm like, it just looks legit and it looks really good. It's that visceral, like just the way that it keeps doing the close-ups of that just looks like flesh. I don't even know what it is, you know? Like oh, look, we know, we know as the viewer of like repeat viewings that there's a face hugger inside, but a face hugger is just a small thing compared to all the rest that's filling that egg. Because when you peers into it, you just see like just flesh. Can you imagine being in a theater for 1979 and seeing this? Because even when we saw it when we were younger, we already had some awareness of it. We had already seen effects work and other things. But this, I feel like there was really no big sci-fi alien type thing of this caliber at that point, that this would just be wholly new to them. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel like a real company would have just dumped Kane on the planet to avoid an insurance claim until I found <laughs> out. <laughs> just, until I found out that back. it's like, oh no, this was intentional. Like if I what was happened? a worker hmm. and my company found out like, yeah, something happened while we were out here, it'd just be, uh, drop them. We don't need the premiums to go up. <laughs> <laughs> it was but, a airlock accident i don't know <laughs> but it's so funny like talking about the egg and like how did they do it and like i had a vague memory and i just confirmed it and that the inside of the egg was actual animal parts like Ooh. it was actual like bovine and pig intestines that makes sense that were that were inside of it that wonderful. was like the coiling and like the flesh pieces which is gross i know the face hugger later instead of it looking like a vagina it um just is made of like clam like yeah, other it was, it was like crustacean kind of parts yeah like i think it was oysters and okay liver because i was something gonna, yeah i was just gonna say like that looked like how did they create that because it looks like just real, real. flesh yeah <laughs> yeah and oh yeah like they just went all in on it <laughs> exclusively duxbury oysters and it does look a lot different compared to the rest of the franchise because if you don't know geeker's work it's extremely hyper sexualized biomechanical horror stuff and yeah. all of his work is extremely sexual there's no way to oh, cover yeah. it up it's it's extremely like it oh it looks like a penis it is one you know yeah if you, if you ever want and... genitals to be scary just look at his stuff <laughs> <laughs> And in the later sequels, whenever a face hugger is like flying towards the camera and you see like the, the tube thing like sticking out, you clearly know like this thing looks like, you know, looks like a vagina. This, they didn't even do that, or at least they didn't do that yet, because when you're seeing the like the dissecting scene and all the parts that are natural on like the latex thing that the face hugger is, it's um looks nothing like that. It's like a horseshoe crab full of meat. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny because, like, in production, they were originally going to color the face hugger green. But, like, when they were putting together, like, the animal parts for it, they thought that the, like, flesh-ish color of it was so unnerving oh, yeah. that they were just like, oh, yeah, we're just going to keep it like this, actually. <laughs> it was a wise gamble because that... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So out of the entire 
series too i felt the most unnerved in this one all the other ones were just like scary jump scares but this one definitely just the hyper close-ups of some of that stuff is just so my exact note is if this ever happened to me in real life shoot me and throw me in an incinerator (laughs) oh if you got face hugged yeah (laughs) no if i had to go to work (laughs) 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 if i'm ever sent on a mining trip just get rid of me back on the there's a shot i forgot in the on the egg it's kind of i don't know what the film ridley's intention was here but there's a shot of the top of the egg and the ooze drips upwards like it's like oozing but going vertically i don't know if that was i think it's it's just kind of another mysterious mysterious part of the egg yeah um i think he did that intentionally to make it more unnerving and it worked yeah, because like, um, it's o- it's obvious, and usually, I mean, movies reverse film all the time. You know, like I know they did it in Star Wars with like the Tuscan Raider. They didn't have enough shots to have him do like the thing over his head, so they just rewound it, forward it, rewound it, forward it to make it look like he was, you know, raising the stick over his head. But to see it done in a way where you see drips of some kind of liquid ooze thing go from the egg and drip up toward the ceiling i think he did that intentionally to just mess with people yeah i mean it does mess with you yeah it slowly pans down there's a sewer vent underneath it it's like a maryland i know this movie used just like a ton of like all the ky jelly with how much (laughs) ooze and dripping i had a comment when we got to it just like the xenomorph is the most hydrated being i've ever seen in my life I mean, that's almost like the, the, it's like the subtext of the movie is like everything's going to be moist <laughs> there's a cut scene later on, on <laughs> when um brett gets killed he goes into the um like a, a, a shaft that's dripping water and he oh, like yeah. looks into the like the drips that are coming in and like he cleans his face there's a cut scene where you actually see the alien suspended in the chains directly above but it's a blink and you miss it thing because of the way that his the biomechanical um carapace of his body it blends in with the rest of the ship so well you can't tell he's hanging there unless you know that's where you gotta look so as he's cleaning his face and like letting it fall into his mouth that's really like the alien drool that he's just drinking away at i know i I watched i watched that scene and i had to like go look up and be like what is this water from like what is this Uh, apparently like that room in the ship is supposed to be like where the cooling towers are and it's like condensation falling mm. but but like but regardless like you don't you don't just do that <laughs> and like in in filming like the uh, producers gave ridley scott a really hard time because they were like hey this room doesn't make any sense like with chains and like the water <laughs> falling like a torture <laughs> room <laughs> Apparently it was a whole back and forth between them and he eventually got to keep it. But it was just like, I see where they were coming from though. This room doesn't make any sense. Like I'm waiting for Pinhead to come walking out. Yeah. I have such things to show you. After what I just saw, what are you going to show me? My bonus. I got things to show you. Hey Holy buddy, shit, me did first. Did you see that Xenomorph? <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, somebody solved my box. Gotta we're go. <laughs> Oh shit, the xenomorph salt. <laughs> it's just a little jaw coming out, moving the parts. <laughs> so, after an undisclosed amount of time, 
um, we're back at the Nostromo, and uh, the away team finally gets back. So they're asking, like, you know, hey, Ripley, open the door, and, um, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're back now. We're all fine here now. Thank you. Please. And she's like, well, what happened to Kane? Something has attached itself to him. We have to get him to the infirmary right away. What kind of thing? I need a clear definition. An organism. Open the hatch. Wait a minute. If we let it in, the ship could be infected. You know the quarantine procedure. 24 hours for decontamination. The smartest thing I've ever heard in any movie. I don't know what's attached to Kane. That will break quarantine procedures because we don't know what the hell that thing is. I'm not opening the door. We quarantine for a reason. Yeah. So Ash, being the sus guy that he is, he opens it anyway. Ash is an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> I want to see what happens. <laughs> Even though Ripley's like, no, I'm not going to open it. He opens the door anyway. And they bring Kane to the infirmary. And you see them cut off his helmet. Because it's just like his helmet's still on. And you just see like an exposed hole through the front of the visor. And then when they use the laser cutter to open it up and they remove the helmets um, away from his head, you see that there's this weird hand hugging thing hugging onto uh, Kane's face. And the entire crew is just outside of the uh, observation window watching as this this thing is happening. And then aside from just this hand-looking thing grabbing onto his face, there's a long constrictive tail wrapping around his neck the entire time. This scene has a cut scene that is in the director's cut, which I've always loved. And this lends more to my theory of how Dallas and Lambert don't like each other. Because Lambert is already there. Right, yeah. What did I say? You said Dallas. Sorry, yeah. Ripley and Lambert. Thank you. Um, Lambert is already there outside the observation window with Kane or um, with uh, Brett Parker, you know, everybody else. And then Ripley is coming downstairs from the main wherever she was. She comes down the ladder. And then just as she finishes climbing down the ladder, Lambert runs over to her and she's like, what the fuck is going on? and she slaps Ripley across the face as hard as she can and she's like what were you thinking of doing she's like you are breaking quarantine and it's like Dallas says over through the intercom like this is not and you can see that Ripley is fighting back tears because Veronica Cartwright actually slapped the shit out of Sigourney Weaver in this scene. She was a real slap and she was acting through a hundred percent, but you can see how she got her good. So forcing back her voice from break, like cracking, even if it's against the law, You're goddamn right. I wish that was in the theatrical cut, but I can see why it was cut. Also it just doesn't really add anything more to the scene but it was a cool character interaction seeing on how like she's trying to just be safe about all this, but wasn't yeah, good I mean, the whole time too. Huh? I almost feel like it does really fit in. Does fit in because I did find myself wondering, I guess they're just going to ignore that whole thing. <laughs> or really was going to leave them outside the ship. Um, sure. Yeah. There was no follow up to it. It felt like there should have been. That's a, a that's something. a pretty serious well, situation. I think if they were to include it for me, at least it would have made, Dallas more unlikable 
or like mm. rather it would have made him unlikable as a leader there to be like forget the procedure that we put in place for the safety of the entire crew let me in yeah this is the scene i mentioned in the prologue about um there's two big scenes that were cut from the movie that were re-added into the theatrical cut this is the one i wish they kept the one in the end with the weird alien uh nest thing uh, that i actually couldn't care less about and i felt this one specifically with the interaction between Lambert and Ripley was the one that should have stayed. I guess, especially now knowing what you mentioned about Cartwright thinking she was getting Ripley's part, this is probably was a real slap. She's like, you're getting yeah. out this aggression right now. It's method acting. <laughs> I do know um, Sigourney Weaver got a lot of shit while filming because she was kind of like the newbie on crew. And even though she had very strong acting talents, she just didn't have the experience to truly back up a lot of her claims yet. Well, I think so later on. Okay. Hmm? Well, later on in the movie, when she's trying to, you know, act her way, like, you know, Dallas is dead. I'm the boss now, basically. Um, and Parker's given her a lot of shit. Her reacting to that, you know, will you listen to me, Parker? Shut up. That was not her acting. <laughs> That was her letting her real emotions get through at that point in time because she was getting a lot of crap from wow. some of her more seasoned um, co-workers because just they weren't treating her with the respect that she wanted because she was just really new to the business. During the edit of this uh, scene here of us talking about it, I wanted to fact check. Though what I said was mostly true, Yafit Kato actually antagonized Sigourney to get a better performance out of her. She was still frustrated, but this wasn't to belittle her for, like, malicious reason or anything like that. Anyway, back to the show. Because I think this was her first... I think this was her first film, because before that she had only mm -hmm. done, like, theater or something to that yeah. effect. She's yep. the theater <laughs> God damn it. That's that part did stand out to me when she yells at Parker. I'm like, that felt very visceral, and, and yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you heard, if they're saying it's yeah. real, real frustration. And now she is uh, one of the leading actresses of all time, in my eyes, anyway. Because of this and Working Girl, you guys remember Working Girl. <clears throat> so after the slap, uh, Ash scans Kane's body with this medical X-ray thing to see more of what's going on inside his body, and they can see that um, there's a tube being fed down his throat from the thing, feeding him oxygen, but also at the same time keeping him paralyzed. So um, Ash attempts to try to keep this thing attached to Kane as long as possible, but Dallas insists, like, no, we need to get this thing off of him. So this whole time, Ash, at every opportunity, tries to, I don't want to say undermine everyone else, but he wants to study it, and it he does no attempt on not showing that off or kind of you know what i mean he always tries to be the one to want to study it let's not touch it i want to keep it as is but everyone else is just seeing within reason like you're there's a random alien attached to this guy's face let's can we get it off please this is gonna sound like a stupid joke but what if you know the things that they take that they stick when you get locked out of your car and they stick them in and then they pump them up to inflate them when they try to pull the legs off and it tightens what if they had just slid like the sheets underneath it and then just pumped it until it just blew the tail away from his neck? 
Yeah, the the like the danger that the facehugger was posing in hindsight didn't seem that terrible. It was just like, oh, we gotta take it off. Oh man, it's gonna choke him. And it's like I feel like there's ways around this. I mean, I mean, as soon as they realized that there was a tube going into him, I would be like, hey, he's probably dead. At like he's alive, but he's not alive. Like we might as well just get this thing off him. I mean, yeah, and push up the shove. I mean, why don't you guys freeze him? <laughs> Why don't we cut his head off real fast, take the face hugger off, and then reattach his head? <laughs> Just super quick. We'll put his head he on ice. It'll be fine. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot that technology exists this time period. <laughs> Just staple it. So Ash uses a space cutter contraption, and um, when he cuts into the face hugger's finger, it sprays blood on the ground, but unlike regular blood, it eats through several floors of the ship, just like some kind of molecular acid. That crap's gonna eat through the hull. That thing's gonna eat through the goddamn hull. Come on, what's going on? I think this is why I always preferred Predator over Alien, because I feel like the Xenomorph was almost like a like it was unfair. It was like every kid on the playground who would just make up powers as time goes on <laughs> to explain why you can't win. And it's like, oh, oh they so... they do this, they do that. And also their blood's acid. So if you, if you try to kill them, they kill you because of the acid. I'm like, oh, man, that's just there's too many things stacked in their favor. I was going to say, that's the funny thing with the acid blood. It, was, it actually kind of was that because when Dan O'Bannon was writing the screenplay, they were trying to come up with a solution as to why they can't just shoot it. And that, like, rather than just like, oh, it has like armor or like it's invulnerable, they're like, oh, but if it has acid blood that'll eat through the hole, then they can't shoot it. Like, like it was one of those, like, well, like trying to problem solve, like, why don't they just shoot it? It could have been one throwaway line at the beginning of like, hey, Parker, you bring those bullets on board? Yeah, I'll grab them in a second. And then they forget. <laughs> no, can no canonical acid blood. <laughs> it saves a bunch on the budget by doing that tell you what worked on deadpool <laughs> sometimes it the, it writes itself into a corner because then it's just how many times have they been gotten shot and it doesn't leave just you know two meter wide holes for every single spot where it was killed yeah like when we get into aliens and they're shooting them like in a tunnel way or like up in the rafters how is that yeah. entire floor and ceiling not just falling through Hmm. Yep. Also, like evolutionarily, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, right? Because like I understand when it's like a face hugger or, or larval form that like has acid blood as its self defense because it's little or defenseless. But like when it's like the full grown alien with like the double jaws and the claws and the the spiky tail, like I feel like it doesn't need that anymore. Like how did that help it? Yeah. I mean, also does it? It has acid molecular acid blood. But does it still handle oxygen in the blood the same way that normal blood would? Well, we don't even know if this thing breathes. Right, because like, he was hanging out, out acid... in space pretty pretty handily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, true, because I mean, they ended up killing him via the, uh, what, the boosters? The not booster necessarily thing, yeah. the... Yeah. Just flung him well, away. It's kind of like... It's kind of like what Ash said in the movie, right? That it just like adapts to whatever environment it's in. Like, regardless of what it is, it's just perfect Superman. Basically. Superman... I, I guess hey, I like that book, Superman versus Xenomorphs. <laughs> I guess I like that. I element. hated that book. That book was so frustrating to me. Wait, what? It wasn't a great because book. Because 
that it that was a comic superman oh, versus xenomorphs or alien <laughs> yeah i didn't he know gets, you were just making shit up he, no he gets kidnapped or i don't remember the whole point of the story but long story short he's away from earth he's away from the yellow sun he's away from the thing that gives him his superpowers he gets face hugged he has a chest burster in his chest that's gestating he can feel it getting to the point where it's ready to hatch or you know burst so he's almost to earth he's going as fast as he can back to earth the second he's within earth's sun or like the um once he's close enough to the sun's light he just hawks the thing out like a loogie and then that's <laughs> it the story ends <laughs> i mean my boy. i guess that's what i would expect i mean they can't actually hurt him in any way so it's like but eh? but if the xenomorph or the chestburster takes the traits and qualities of whatever his host was, wouldn't that mean that he just created a super alien that now uses the same or has the same powers of a Kryptonian? Because it's not human. Is that how he works? So actually, it would have been better if he didn't discharge it, because once he's within the yellow sun his entire body's invulnerable again, that thing would try to chest burst and just liquefy itself hitting his rib cage. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of questions. But <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah, to Dean, what you were saying, yeah, like we find out in Alien Three that it takes on like when it's was it a, a uh, cow or a dog? Yeah, the... depends on what version you watch. Uh, later it's game. either a cadaver cow or it's a dog. Oh uh, yeah. And then they do it again in um uh, uh Covenant with one of the engineers got you yeah so parker and brett talk about wanting to get off that rock as soon as possible and they see how and how they should never have landed there in the first place but inside the medical bay we see ash pouring over his notes about the creature and trying to just study it more ripley enters in asking about kane and their stowaway ash hides what he's doing while Ripley asks the generic, you know, how's everything going, but then confronts Ash about him breaking quarantine. She wasn't happy much yeah. either about the entire thing of just, uh, you know, like, I, you should know a science officer not to have opened that door. You risked everybody. He's like, well, I assume that risk. <laughs> Android red flag. <laughs> it's like when the when the, like, the face hugger, like, kind of gets away or is missing, and you know um dallas and ripley are being like really cautious like looking for it and ash is just like yeah whatever just poking around <laughs> yeah, can't hurt like, me i'm an I android didn't notice he's like reaching in like the crevices and stuff. <laughs> and he's just like yeah whatever i'm an android <laughs> which they don't reveal that he's an android until later because the whole crew acts surprised so that means at this point they just be must think that Wow, Ash is hardcore. Because <laughs> like everyone else being all scared and cautious, he's just like, whatever. He's sticking his head into crevices, just looking around, nothing here. Yeah, <laughs> he walks over. Ripley like goes to a corner. He's like, no, Ripley, not the corner. And then he just goes in, like sticks his hand in. <laughs> <laughs> Climbs in backwards, looks around, crawls back out. Later on that night, Dallas is alerted that something interesting happened to Kane, which I hate how every time ash chimes in about hey you need to see this what's happening <laughs> just just come look like, what is it is he dead did the thing explode you could have easily have just said it over the intercom like hey it's missing i think some hustle would have been 
introduced by Dallas instead of just like, oh, well, I don't know. They walk in, it's it's the face hugger's missing. What the? You didn't, why didn't you tell? They like start jumping. Yeah, right? It's like, now I'm in here. You closed the door? <laughs> <laughs> Meeting could have been an email, man. What are you doing? So when he, Ash, and Ripley get to the infirmary, they see that the face hugger is now missing. They slowly investigate the room the same way I would have tried to, um, if a spider was in the room that I'm trying to kill it. <laughs> and then after some looking around, it falls onto Ripley from just the rafters, roof ceiling thing. Um, it falls onto Ripley. It uh, scares the shit out of her. As it would me if that same spider descended down right in front of my face. So um, Ash mounts it onto a dissecting plate and examines the thing further. And then when Dallas leaves, Ripley chases him down so he could voice her opinion on Ash. She doesn't trust him, and Dallas says he trusts no one and reveals that Ash was replacing the previous science officer two days just before this mission. So I didn't um, think it was a problem. It, if, um, if I knew that this thing was attached to somebody's mouth and then fell off and disappeared, and I was asked to go search the room that it disappeared in, I would be like wearing a ball gag duct taped around my head before I go into that room. <laughs> I'd be like, not today. Uh, the hypersexualized alien is one weakness or gimps. <laughs> Wait, which one of you had a ball gag? <laughs> it's like that was one of the things you packed? It just slow pans to ash. We're allowed three personal items. <laughs> I didn't tell you what kind of android I am. <laughs> the Hustler Corporation. <laughs> very big, big in the future. <laughs> Now just Tim has me thinking about like the ball gag, like the ultimate way to stop a zombie uh, apocalypse. Everyone put one on right now. Let's go. No zombies. It's like your loved one is dying. They're going to turn into a zombie. You're like, I'm so sorry. And you just put a ball gag on. (laughs) This This is just for all of our safety. When you turn. They give them just like mittens and a ball gag. It's like in um the World War Z, uh the movie, not the book. The book was amazing. The movie was meh. They were they talk about how like in North Korea there were no zombies because they just ordered everyone to have their teeth removed. I mean oh that'll God. do it too, yeah. <laughs> in The Walking Dead, when they um remove the jaw and the arms, the zombie goes mm. docile. It just knows I have nothing I can do. Yeah, but then my luck, after they do that, they'd be like, we found a cure. And I'd be like, huh. (laughs) Can you put these in some milk? (laughs) Ripley mentions to Dallas, too, that the ship's ready for takeoff. And he's like, why didn't you tell me sooner? And she says here that, you know, well, some minor systems are down. You know, um, they're blind on several decks on the ship. But Dallas is like, let's get the fuck out of here. So they take off. It's like the classic, like... Do you, do you want it fixed or do you want it working? <laughs> yeah. um, Lambert mentions that it's still going to be another 10 months to get back home. And this is when Ash calls down to Dallas again with another cryptic message saying that she should just come and see Kane's newest development. <laughs> we follow them down and we see that Kane's awake this time and everyone's happy to have their final meal before going back to cryo sleep. On our way home. Yeah, back to the old freezerinos. <laughs> During their celebration of going home, Kane begins screaming and squirming. The men hold him down, thinking he's having a violent seizure. 
They struggle to try and get a spoon in his mouth to prevent the seizure from causing Kane to bite his own tongue off, but then his chest pounds outward, spraying the first blast of blood all over the crew members. Another chest pump and even more blood blasts through his white shirt, and then something finally bursts through his chest. A small snake-like creature, veins throbbing with stolen blood, gazing around the room. Parker grabs the nearest utensil as a weapon, but Ash tells him to stand down. And by the time the crew looks to turn back the creature, it scurries off into the ship, making them lose where it went off to. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Oh, wrong movie. That's like in, oh, no. in the most the most parodied scene of all time. Not again. Well, I like how he, just when he starts freaking out, Parker's like, "Hey, come on, man. Food ain't that bad." <laughs> <laughs> Water my ass, get this man some Pepto Bismol. Um, <laughs> pop, pop. I saw that. Oh. I saw Spaceballs before. This happened with a lot of movies and comedies where I would see the parody and then later in life would see the movie that they were parodying. Based on. And it yeah. includes this scene. And I, you know, it's a funny scene to me as a funny. kid, but it's like, oh, okay, finally see what what it comes i know from. like i feel like if you haven't seen alien yet like you already know what that scene is and <laughs> what happens yeah. it's up there with like you know luke i'm your father and oh yeah rosebud um i didn't i forgot how much <laughs> um that the alien just looks at them like just like surveys them <laughs> and he comes out like are you my mom <laughs> Like, just you just get like imprint six close ups of it's just like eyes cocking one to one. So, I think it's funny in the Spaceballs one, it does the same thing where it kind of just looks around. And I thought that was just their version, but I'm like, no, he does just it does just look around at them for uh, a little bit. Parodies with an attention to detail. <laughs> uh, I like how gruesome. they got William Hurt to do that scene yeah. too in Spaceballs <laughs> got him back the whole kicker John Hurt John Hurt William Hurt's a completely different actor they got right. William Hurt to do it hey guys I don't really know why you're asking me but paycheck's a paycheck <laughs> it's just another layer to the joke oh his name is Hurt I would love to have been alive to see or like be able to go back and go into a Friday night packed theater in 1979 with this scene and see everyone's reaction to this scene. Cause no one knew what was coming from here. This oh, yeah. was the first of its kind ever. And especially something like gross out blood gore and just the whole concept in itself is just this thing latches onto you, plants an egg in you and then it hatches and you are the carrier this whole time. I mean, it's such like a violent, visceral scene, even considering the rest of the movie from there. And I, I've never gone back and watched any of like the original trailers or TV spots or things like that for Alien. I probably should. But even if they reveal the xenomorph itself in its end form in any of that, I don't think, unless they did that they would include the chest burster scene in it. So you probably think, no. oh, it's like, there's going to be an alien in this without knowing what's going to happen at the dinner mm -hmm. scene. What I hate uh, about modern trailers, though, is the the original trailer for this, I can almost guarantee, probably doesn't have anything in it and maybe a really bad shot of the alien at most. 
but it's going to be a quick thing. But modern mm. trailers will have almost that entire scene in the actual trailer itself. Yeah, so the the original marketing for Alien was super cryptic. Um, you going into this probably didn't even know what the movie was. Because wasn't it the original trailer just like the the egg and you heard like some of the the talking or the sound effects or something? Yeah, it was it just sound siren. over like a slow pan kind of thing and like in space no one can hear you scream thing. Yeah, and it had that like siren going off in the, the background, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the marketing was so cryptic. Um, and I wonder if, if because of like the whole sci-fi genre, they were worried what people would think if they showed much. So they just went like like this really like just cryptic, vague direction. Back which seemed to work for them. Marketing. Yeah. Well, I mean, some, some places, some trailer companies have done well about like doing trailers that are a mood rather than telling you what the story is yeah nolan does that i remember the trailer for interstellar i had no idea what the hell the movie was about it was just cornfield <laughs> um i watched it fly over that way. yeah and then you see like this big ass spaceship in the middle of a cornfield and it's just interstellar coming soon and even um oppenheimer did the same thing where you saw like super close-ups of the atomic blast but nothing else and then i think maybe killian murphy and then oppenheimer coming this summer mm, sure i think titanic had a really good one too i had no idea what was going to happen going into that one <laughs> <laughs> they're getting ready to go on and you see jonesy run on board and you're like oh no <laughs> so a funeral is held for kane kind of sad too because dallas is just like does anyone have anything to say and then they just yeet his body out into space i burst out laughing <laughs> oh, in the scene yeah. that it's That's like this somber it moment and then smash cuts to him being fired like a rocket at 100 miles an hour <laughs> I, I just like wanted like the like the sound effect as it just gets shot out just like yeet. the post <laughs> i think today the post credit scene would just be a shot of some random planet and it's like <laughs> his body just but lands. It, it's from a distance and you see like this streak go through the planet's core and all of a sudden it just like detonates or oh, what is there's an old meme of like someone gets like thrown out into space or gets shot off and it's just like this looping music and it just shows them traveling and we just like spend 10 minutes just following him through the universe as he cuts we finally through. got that message from earth they're in trouble <laughs> you should do you should mash this up as he gets launched out then cut to the what is it? The Force Awakens, where she, she, she like jumps through the, through the star destroyer, just just cuts it in half. So after the funeral, they team up once again, but this time they're going over available tools and weapons that can help them find the missing alien. Parker explains the cattle prod that they have, while Ash shows off the motion tracker he has that searches for changes in micro air density. I like how Cameron kind of took this whole design thing and like evolved it in the sequel. Now, did they make the cattle prod like they made the sensor or do they just have a cattle prod for some reason? I think he made it. I don't know. Oh, OK. Yeah, like, I mean, later like he used the word cattle prod and I was like, is there a space cattle? Like, is that? <laughs> 
they i mean later on he also was like give me 20 minutes and i'll make a flamethrower like he's rigging things up <laughs> yeah. he just seems to be a macgyver with that kind of thing that's why he's on the ship <laughs> no bonus though no bonus <laughs> he was gunning for it he was like man i'm gonna make all these improvised the weapons get my bonus <laughs> so ash dallas and lambert form one team while brett parker and ripley go off and search in a different area just as they think they find it, it's actually Jonesy the cat, the last member of the Nostromo crew. Brett lets the cat escape. Wait, don't let him go! What the hell are you doing, man? It's the cat. <laughs> hey, look, now, we had to bag it, man. Now we might pick it up on the track again. So just like that, he gets close, and he hears Jones and hiss as it bolts off in another direction. So Brett is still trying to find this thing in the middle of, I don't know where the hell they are. Um, but as we discussed earlier, it seems to be like the cooling area for the ship's reactor. Um, Brett finds the shed skin of the creature, which looks this. It looks like a torn condom i mean it's absolutely <laughs> gross it's also not ideal that the tracker they put together needs to be within melee range of the alien to know it's there yeah <laughs> i mean at that point can't your eyes do the heavy lifting on that one also when this when when this scene came up i was wondering myself and i i, I don't know if i missed it or did they introduce the cat before this because yeah. like yeah oh i could not remember like when the cat comes out i'm like there was a cat and i was like what yeah, he's in, he's in. I the, think blinking, you miss it. He's in the shots so in the opening eating. when they're waking up too. I think. Oh, maybe that's what it is then. Yeah, and the 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 when they're in the dining room thing too. I think it's on one of the the chairs, like on the the seat back. Oh, they just never. They don't like overtly mention it, but like, no. oh, like oh, there's a cat over there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so once Brett finds the shed skin of the creature, he keeps looking. But this time he stops to let some of the water that's dripping from the ceiling cool him off a bit. And this is here where I mentioned that deleted scene. If you look up, you can see the hanging alien, which is uh, gross now, thinking that he's drinking water, or at least he thinks he is. <laughs> takes his hat off, takes his shirt off, strips down to his skivvies, soaps Plays up. volleyball with the alien, you know. <laughs> well, that was refreshing. Back to that cat. <laughs> So he finds Jones, but the cat is backed into a corner, clearly in like a defensive mode. And the cat hisses at Brett, but over Brett's shoulder, we see that it's actually the alien that's descending down from the rafters. And not only that, it's no longer the chestburster anymore, but now it's a fully grown black exoskeleton glistening in the low light, fully grown alien. Talk about perfect organism. Uh, the camera pans close to the alien's face. Um, lips are snarled up as its secondary mouth ejects out, rips a chunk of Brett's flesh, and pulls him back up into the rafters. This is the first time we see the alien in its full, complete form, and it's also a nice big close-up too, which is actually really well done. It's an iconic reveal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So many movies where they do more, and it's really the less is more attitude the fact that we do get a really damn good look at this thing up close is so terrifying with the way that it's just 
drool dripping down. It looks like it's half made out of metal. Yeah, I, I like the way that the aliens revealed in this because it's like we get like a bunch of different angled close-ups rather than mm-hmm. like a full reveal because while I do love the Xenomorph design, I think if you ever got like a full frame picture of it, it looks kind of goofy. Yeah. And the only so time like, it works is like in the later movies when it's less bipedal and it's more like yeah. on all fours running around. But like if you see it just like kind of standing there in frame, it would probably look ridiculous. But like yep. the close ups, especially since like the suit is like so well made and like looks fantastic. Did um, you play um, Alien Fire Team with us? I did. Yeah, I really liked the design that they did for I forget what they called it, but it was supposed to be this alien. Hmm. But it was the one that it was like the stalker one. I think it, it was, was the predator bigger, alien or something. No, no, no. It was in um, Fire Team where it would be like, I think they called it the Prowler alien, but it's basically, it's this one. It's supposed to be like hiding in the vents and then it comes out and attacks like one guy and then it just jumps right back into the vents afterward. But his design definitely is a lot more, um, it has to be done in a different way to make it look not silly, like you mentioned, compared to like the, um, the warrior xenomorphs that are in the sequel. Because they're yeah. on all fours, it makes a lot more sense. But standing upright, if you don't shoot it well, it's going to look weird. So the crew regroups. Parker admits to seeing it, and he is terrified. He just notes on how big it actually is now. And it really is insane to think that this thing, it, it all probably happened in the span of at least maybe two, three hours at most. But you figure it bursts out of Kane's chest. It goes into hiding. They build the weapons they start looking for it and not even two hours later it goes from being like maybe a a three foot long snake to now like a, a seven foot tall thing and they're going around with like a net <laughs> just like nah <laughs> nah it's not gonna work <laughs> so now dallas wants to just use incinerator units to flush out the creature and they decide to use the air vents to trap it and then in the theatrical cut, uh, we see Dallas typing questions into Mother's computer, and the AI is unable to give him any sort of answer besides just does not compute. And his final question of like, do I have like, what are our chances? And just like, are, are we going to make it out of this? And it still yields the same result. I just love how useless Mother is throughout the yeah. film. It's just like, it's it's really used twice, like in this scene and then when ripley goes towards the end and we like find out the the real core of the mission <laughs> and it's just like the supercomputer that really didn't do much of anything well what part of her is useless the console that you have to type in specific <laughs> questions that only it knows the and the questions that can be asked or just her answers in general because it's kind of both it's it's kind of both it's hard to use and doesn't know much as a yeah. law, large language model ai i cannot provide an answer to xenomorph uh survival rates yeah how do i kill the alien does not compute well, again probably like what alien what are you talking about <laughs> that's what <laughs> i was gonna say programmed does, do we assume that the ai just has access to whatever is going on the ship visually and at all times like and just should know like it's seen the alien and be I'd like ass- i'd assume so yeah i assumed that it was like a master database of like all not like um like space odyssey 2001 kind yeah. of computer but instead it was kind of more just like a chap <laughs> <laughs> and not even a good one 
<laughs> yeah, not even. I like how you can't even ask it questions verbally. You have to actually type in the question. Mm-hmm. And these all these guys have like a <laughs> ten word per minute, if that typing skill. Does Lambert like me? <laughs> <laughs> so the crew now ready to trap the alien. They lock air vents behind Dallas as he navigates through the air duct maze. I like how Lambert is more scared than Dallas. It's moving right towards And I don't think she helps the situation at all with her just screaming into his ear the whole time. Like, oh, he's behind you. I mean, Lam- Lambert is a liability this whole situation. <laughs> they really like, are. And, and we'll, get, we'll get to another situation where she's a huge liability. I, I guess, can't. I, guess I, I was so mad at her at that final scene. But yeah. Lambert starts screaming as they see the alien move closer and closer to Dallas. He tries shooting the flamethrower in random junctions, but this doesn't really help at all. And then his final turn, uh, and then he turns a final corner, and then the alien is just there, reaching out to grab him without giving him a chance. Worst game of he hide just and wanted seek. The, hug. <laughs> the worst thing to happen to Dallas since insert any Cowboys joke. <laughs> I I felt so bad for Dallas in this whole sequence where he's just like he's got a big flashlight and this makeshift flamethrower and he like he can like barely make it through the air ducts i'm just sitting there thinking i'm like man i would have taken three steps and be like oh guys this plan isn't gonna work like i can't even hold the gun up while i walk yeah he's like climbing up and down ladders carrying an open flame and i'm like ah, i don't know if i want to be doing that in tight can you, quarters can anyone explain to me what the plan like what was supposed to happen they're supposed to back it into like one of the air vents and trap it so they know where it is okay and then they can kill it i think yeah, that they were only works and... when it's afraid of you <laughs> right we never actually found out if it didn't like fire could have could they could have been fine with it <laughs> it gets stronger uh, with heat i think that's why it had that reaction when that, that reveal oh, he, of the it was alien. warming its He's hands like, ah! he oh. threw his hands up in like he was terrified <laughs> of the fire <laughs> It's just kind of funny. Like I was thinking about being in Dallas's situation for that, and like crab quarters. Like it reminds me of like you know throwback to Flash Gordon. One of those situations where I just like nah, I'm I'm done. I give up. <laughs> it's like this is too much effort for me. Hey, I played a good game, but you know what? <laughs> Put one on the board for giant scary alien. <laughs> alien one, Dallas zero. So Parker slams the flamethrower on the desk. He confides that this is all they found of him. No blood. No other sign of him. Lambert wants to abandon the ship, but the escape shuttle does not have enough room for all the current crew members that are still alive. Parker is hell-bent on revenge and ignoring Ripley before she just yells at him like, Well, then why don't we draw straws? I'm not drawing any straws. I'm for killing that goddamn thing right now. Okay. Well, let's talk about killing it. We know it's using the air shafts. Will you listen to me, Parker? Shut up! Wait a second. Dallas gets killed in the air vents, right? So then Parker went into the air vents and got his flamethrower? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I say that? That's ballsy. No. Wait, no, no, he does. Yeah, he had to. He's the only one. Yeah. Maybe Ripley might have, but I know no, Lambert I'm definitely just, didn't. I'm just talking about the situation of like, they were so scared to go in the air vents and then they, everyone's terrified to continue to try and do that plan but like the parker was just like yeah whatever i'll just go get it well they did have that motion sensor s- s- radar so did dallas 
<laughs> well, no, he didn't. Oh, true. That, yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about like the <laughs> like what? So probably just hey, there's nothing on the scope. It's not in there at all because they're able to track it while Dallas was in there, right? And then he probably like, all right, well, I'm going to go see what's left, if anything, of him. He's like, well, there's nothing on the scope. And you're probably telling him that the whole time. It's probably because Parker's perfectly safe when he's allowed to go alone places. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, I, I just find the situation kind of funny that like huge plan, very dangerous. No, no, I'm just going to go real quick. <laughs> the alien's still there and you see a hand come around the corner and just slowly pull it off screen. <laughs> <laughs> so ripley tries to think this through and asks ash what he and mother think of this whole situation ash any suggestions from you or mother no we're still collecting <laughs> she attempts ripley to snicker in disbelief You're still collating? and she warns well i have access to mother i'm just gonna ask her myself so we go Does into Lambert hate the me? <laughs> so in mother's pod ripley sees that they are now under special order 937 nostromo rerouted to new coordinates investigate life form gather specimen priority one ensure return of organism for analysis all other priorities rescinded crew expendable this haunting realization of ash's motives hit ripley and ash gives her a jump scare while in the mother control room Ash chases her over to the galley, and this is uh, one of the most fucked up scenes in the whole movie next to, I don't know, subjectively, it's, I think, almost worse than the chestburster scene. So cornered, Ash is seen sweating, bleeding this like white substance from his head, and he prevents Ripley from leaving the room and attacks her, knocking her unconscious, leading to this weird robotic rape allegory because he takes a magazine and shoves it into her mouth i um, think there's gonna be a more efficient way if he's trying to choke her uh, like he's, I, I, he's uh, got two robot hands <laughs> i love the joke that's not mine that <laughs> ash attacks her like a like an angered dog uh owner would <laughs> <laughs> when you roll up a newspaper and stick it in its mouth <laughs> just, just just like an overly angered dog owner it's like just rolls up the newspaper oh i'm gonna get you <laughs> maybe he didn't want to leave fingerprints in case forensics comes on <laughs> It's okay, there's only security cameras everywhere, but I'm a robot. I, the cameras can't see me. Like, no, that's not how it works, Ash. It, you, they can see you. And his name is John C. Lambert and Parker rescue Ripley in time, and during Parker's assault, they learn that Ash is actually a robot. Robot. They neutralize him, removing his head with, uh, I think he was used, like, Parker was using, like, a fire extinguisher as a weapon. But something big, he smacks him over his head and it breaks his head off, but he comes, like... A bigger newspaper. It's like, a he comes, like, nearly headless Nick from uh, Harry Potter because it's not fully severed off, but it's just enough. And you see that he's got, like... like metal rolled up newspaper. Weird tubing things in him. 
So, um, with Ash out of the picture, finally, they wire him up enough so that they can interrogate him, leading to the worst jump cut in movie history, where you see them playing with the fake head, and then it just immediately cuts to um, Ian Holmes' head as a replacement, but they don't try to cleverly hide that cut. It's just, you would think that Ripley would have moved in front of the camera, they do the jump cut, and then she moves away, but no, it's just fake head fake head it's a real head now and it looks it was bad but anyway <laughs> they just do a pop they smoke. sold it enough for me i i wanted yeah. to mention i think um an android or whatever you call ash is a robot or an and uh, robot they say robot but technically an android they'd be yeah. really bad at poker because all of a sudden you know they you can tell they're bluffing because he's all of a sudden he's sweating white <laughs> white droplets <laughs> i had that was my question i think during his reveal was like all he is is like realizing he got found out and he can't now he starts to sweat sweat white blood or whatever is inside of him i had originally thought that like in the mother room that like maybe he, ripley had like pushed him and he hit his head or something yeah, i thought he got but hit then- or like yeah but then when they show him later it's like he doesn't have any cuts or anything so like just Hmm. sweats white like i don't (laughs) i I had trouble figuring that out (laughs) oh yeah unless i missed something like they did like a retcon in aliens where bishop says oh you know those models are temperamental it's just maybe just the the stress of oh i've been caught just fried a circuit so to speak i don't know they do like a flashback montage and she's like well actually and it's just ash sweating white and it's weird how the whole movie too the only time you see him eat is by him drinking milk oh that's what it was so if that's if that he must reek i don't know what smell might be worse like spoiled robot milk (laughs) the pig and cattle guts in the alien egg or like the seafood medley that's the face hugger like i don't know what smell would be worse no, thank you. So with the interrogation going through, he does confirm their worst fears that the company had no interest in keeping any of them alive, and its sole interest is just of the creature, and that's it. He offers no aid to kill it. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. And then Parker does what he does best. He blasts Ash's remains with the flamethrower, and the crew decide that self-destructing the ship is going to be the way to go. So Lambert and Parker head to retrieve supplies for the shuttle while Ripley gets the shuttle ready to go. She gets distracted while hearing Jones and tries to find him. And then while she tries to collect the cat into the carrier, she overhears on the radio or like the loudspeaker that the alien is now attacking Lambert and Parker. Ripley hears the screams over the ship's loudspeaker as she runs to try to help them, each step closer echoing against the bellowing throes of Parker and manic screams of Lambert. She rounds a final corner for the screaming to end in climax. Finally entering the room and seeing the remaining shipmates dead from their attacker's might. I felt so bad (laughs) for Parker in this scene. Because he's just like, he has the flamethrower. The alien's moving all slow. It's right in front of him. And he had him dead to rights. Yeah. Just like that Parker would've... or Lambert move. Yeah, just move. Move. I can't move. And like, I get it. Like, if I was attacked by a giant alien thing, I, maybe I would freeze up too. But I was just like, oh, but like Parker's my boy. Like, <laughs> yep. really, really wanted to see him do do some great stuff. He just fires he, immediately. Yep, yep. 
yeah but then he just ends up like trying to body check him like my my really inefficient build in alien fire team where i tried to go all melee uh, <laughs> he aims the flamethrower at the ground and uses it as a jetpack to just take off into the ship <laughs> so now with ripley just by herself she heads to the self-destruct chamber and arms the device i like that whole this whole scene of just the way that it's set up and how she has to um, arm the self-destruct mechanism i always thought was really cool what mining ship requires a self-destruct sequence what ship in general requires a self-destruct sequence? That's, that's but what in I was thinking. Like every single ship's got one. I, I understand in pirate days when they're like scuttling ships and things like that. But like, why here? Like, are we just to assume that it's like, oh, you know how every American airline flight has a self-destruct sequence up in the pilot's uh, <laughs> chamber? Like, why would we have this? It's, it's a good. It's a good point. It's like every sci-fi ship not only has a self-destruct mechanism, but even the keyboards are capable of exploding. Like when they crash, quote-unquote, crash land onto the alien ship, just like the consoles are exploding, there's sparks everywhere, little fires are going off, and the computers like... It's like shooting chairs in GoldenEye. Yeah. <laughs> I, the GoldenEye reference. I was going to say, are you laughing because that was your reference during Broken Air? Yeah, I was going to say, that was my <laughs> joke. <laughs> But no, I, I remember saying that and being like, wow, like this self-destruct sequence is really elaborate. And then I was like thinking more about it. And I was like, well, I mean, it's kind of like has the, to be. I was like, the mining ship doesn't just naturally blow up when you want it to. So I'm like, it's probably more just like arming a bomb than like, like flipping a switch for like an inbuilt sequence. Yeah. Ash had swapped them out with um, unsupported circuit boards or whatever it is. Uncoded. I, I was like, I was also like, I had a moment where I, I guess I kind of like saw behind the curtain a moment because like when they build like all of this like sci-fi tech and stuff, they use regular parts that you can just kind of find and like mishmash things together. And I could not get over the fact that I, I had identified in the self-destruct like suitcase thing that like some of the coiling was very clearly just the water lines from dishwashers. <laughs> and i saw that and i was like oh man that's from a dishwasher yep i can't unsee that now it's a very there's blue a collar TikTok. lo-fi um ship there's a tiktok i follow where with every new star wars episode that comes out they try to identify the in-universe parts with the real life <laughs> equivalent so like in the newest episode of ahsoka no spoiler but when you see someone um feed their pet with a specific like scoop thing it's the traditional like bright orange 90s measuring cup that everybody had back in the day or like some of the cups that were in like andor um they're very unique and they're stackable he was able to find the exact model so if you wanted to buy them you could like that stuff is cool oh yeah i think i saw one where like it was somebody's shoes like a pair of shoes yeah. they were wearing and it's like mm -hmm. here are the shoes all they did was a t like hot glue a buckle onto it yep directly from amazon it's pretty cool <laughs> i mean it still has the jump man logo <laughs> <laughs> i mean ripley wears reebok so <laughs> she gets ready to run at the end of the movie and she stops leans over and pumps him <laughs> <laughs> you're in for it now buster the emergency destruct system is now activated the ship will detonate in T-minus 10 minutes. The option to override automatic detonation expires in T-minus 5 minutes. So she flees to the shuttle. She almost stumbles directly onto, like, she almost collides with the thing, or the alien. 
And she drops the cat and then retreats quickly without being seen. And then for whatever reason, she thinks to shut the self-destruct off. But apparently the five minutes have passed. Mother, I've turned the cooling unit back on. I set a timer through this process and it didn't <laughs> pass. She still had about it three never, minutes left at this point. It never does. Well, so what I had thought, because originally I was wondering, it's like, why are you going back to stop the self-destruct? I think it's because she was trying to get to the shuttle. And because the alien was blocking the pathway to the shuttle, she realized, like, I can't get out of here. So I might as well stop this from blowing up first. That makes yeah, sense. she like did, she realized she didn't have enough time. I think so. Now with less than five minutes remaining, she hightails it to the shuttle. She sees that the alien is gone, where she dropped the cat and grabs him, and she doesn't see any more signs of the alien either. So she gets to the shuttle with one minute remaining, launching the shuttle, and the countdown blaring in her ear. She watches the Nostromo get smaller and smaller in her viewport until it finally explodes in a huge flash of white light. Again, why does a mining ship need to detonate with this much payload? Right. Imagine, like, it doesn't say what material. Can you imagine if it's just, like, some super explosive material that they had? (laughs) Mining solid gasoline. Solid gasoline. (laughs) Space gasoline. (laughs) <laughs> comes in rock the sh- form <laughs> <laughs> the shockwave shaking her ship she collapses in her chair from the emotional and physical exhaustion this uh actually she technically had an extra 15 seconds remain on the original five minute warning and another two and a half minutes from the original 10 minute warning so the timer wasn't uh, exactly as how it was in this movie anyway. So maybe it wasn't from the self-destruct. Maybe the ship just did that. <laughs> <laughs> she just I made like... a mistake of like during the timing, she like did the uh, the round table summon from Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> I do like in movies when they're like, you know, 10 minutes remaining and it's literally 10 minutes from that point in time. And it's cut so that it's 10 minutes of footage afterward that finally the, whatever thing happens, happens. Oh, I yeah, I love that stuff where it's like, we only have an hour for this mission. And it's like, oh, it's actually 60 minutes left in the movie. Yep. Does that happen? Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. In the Show Hercules me. Disney movie, um, halfway through, um, Hades is like, War, like something bad happens to Hades. And he's like, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. It's only halftime. And that's the exact half point in the movie. There's one, Dean. Yeah. I don't like it. So my next note is, I like how Ripley prepares to enter the status pod, uh, stasis pod, where she most likely left the other half of her underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was such a gratuitous shot. It seemed so out of the ordinary. Low rise was popular. Because, you know, she thinks she's okay. She starts to prep the ship for cryo sleep. You know, she's turning knobs, flipping switches, and doing stuff. And then when she gets close to the wall, the multi-fingered clawed arm shoots out again for another hug. I just this freaks I her like, out. Oh, hmm? I was like, I, I feel like I would still be kind of terrified and paranoid about everything. Like, I feel like I'm more freaked out after killing a spider that there's other spiders than Ripley yeah. was that there might be an alien. Like, <laughs> like, oh, this one was kind of small in a web. Was this the web or was this someone else's web? <laughs> it was like, oh, I killed a spider, and like. 
like it'll be like before bed and like i'll see a spider and i'll kill it and i'll still be thinking about that spider in bed and ripley's just like no oh, man alien's gone Woo! and i'm like do I don't we know like, what made the alien sleepy time <laughs> he was tired he was just all tuckered out from killing all those people i like how it yawned too <laughs> Well, the other eyes. deleted scene was it got into Bretton Parker's alcohol. <laughs> the little mouth just like shotgunning a beer. It's just like so like docile for that moment. <laughs> well, I wonder if it just got more tired as the movie went on. Like when when Parker and Lambert encounter it, it's kind of like just slow moving and like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Versus like the initial kills where it's like very quick and like stealthy it's docile she walks up and casually breaks its neck while it's in the uh wires when you see it kill what's his name parker it almost looks like it's floating because it's just slowly kind of not really trying to like in the sequels it's just it, it runs like it's a panther or something and it's just super fast and doesn't give you a second to even breathe this one it's just feel like you know you could have telegraphed a message saying hey i'm gonna kill you and from across the room and he still wouldn't be there on time i mean nick I he's know. a grappler like those inputs are hard they take a while yes so half circle it's like, backward it's like two full circles like ba like come on i know that's that's <laughs> tough so here's where we see the gratuitous shot of ripley running into the equipment storage room her getting into the eva suit she loads a harpoon gun and turns back to the window and we see the alien yawning after its long day <laughs> what do you want i was born yesterday she leaves the suit closet straps into a command chair and she cycles the heating vents blowing steam through some of the pipes until finally finding the one that's the alien's hiding spot it climbs out of its hiding spot, screaming from the burns, and then she turns away, luring it into thinking she's not paying attention, or at least that's what my head canon is, because I don't know why she would have moved, looked, looked, turned her body away from what the thing. What if she just forgot? <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> oh, right. All right, it's dead. Oh, finally. <laughs> she's singing um, that song, You're My Lucky Star, and apparently... Um, she cost the studio like thirty grand because they had to get the rights to it, and it was not in the script. <laughs> so it was a fun little. Which, if that fact. was going to be a problem, you would think a producer on the side would be like, N -n -n "No, no, cut that." It's like switch it to Twinkle Twinkle. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> sing the birthday song. The, the big ending. <laughs> she just starts singing. Here comes the sun, and they're like, "We do not have the bank account for this." Like Led Zeppelin, who's worse. <laughs> <laughs> she turns away uh, she glances back seeing the alien now right behind her poised to strike and then she slams her hand down on one of the control panel buttons the opening to the airlock kicks in and it sucks the alien right outside but it's clinging on to like the door frame and this is where the harpoon gun comes into play she just aims it shoots it into the chest and then now it's like free floating off into space and she shuts the door behind it but it kind of it catches the gun just outside it so it's now tethered to the back of the ship but on the outside but she doesn't really know or see any of this the audience does so she just kicks the um throttle to full 
and it just it actually incinerates the alien, leaving it behind as it gets just enveloped in the entire wake of the engine wash of the ship. I was going to say harpoon gun. Weird choice for space. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess space it worked whales. in Empire, so. <laughs> space uh, spearfishing. What does space Damn Arcturians. <laughs> so now finally safe in her shuttle, Ripley pets Jones as we hear her voiceover, leaving a final audio report of the events that just took place. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off. Our closing shot is of her and Jones asleep and safe in the cryopod. The end. I kind of wanted aliens to be like the fly where she leaves the cryopod and like her and Jones have like fused together. (laughs) (laughs) I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. (laughs) I'm having really weird dreams. I had a dollar every time I had to talk about a movie with a cat lady in the past two months. I'd have more dollars two dollars. You should play the horror game Cat Lady. <laughs> yeah, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I I don't. I, I mean, it's Alien. You know, there's that in the eternal debate, like which one's better, Alien or Aliens? And honestly, I, they're just two completely separate movies. I don't like putting them against each other because they're two completely separate movies you know apples and oranges oh yeah i mean tone feel style completely other than the fact that there's aliens and characters that match it's yeah apples and oranges you know and starship uh starship troopers almost did something similar because everyone knows starship troopers the first movie and then when they finally made the sequel the first sequel anyway it's very similar to alien in the same way that the first one is like the the army grunt super action movie and then the second one is more of like that thriller suspense it's not a thousand aliens trying to kill them it's just they're trying to survive from one i had no idea that there was a Starship Troopers sequel. I knew oh, there, dude, there's like, I think there was there's a like couple. four of them. Yeah, but there was not like a yeah theatrical sequel, right? No, I think it was straight to video, yeah. and they weren't. Oh, good. okay, oh, okay. You know, they were. I mean, you like B sci-fi, like you like crappy sci-fi movies. You probably would like it mm-hmm. in the same way that you would watch Mystery mm-hmm. Science Theater, because I feel that's a movie that they would watch. Yeah, Dean, with your taste, you'd enjoy it. Hey, that doesn't <laughs> sound nice. <laughs> i'm sorry with our taste yeah it really uh it really does feel like aliens is like a totally separate franchise like sometimes yeah. i'm like why is this even included like it feels yeah. like it should have just been a different movie because the first one is groundbreaking it is extremely well done but the second one hits it's it's one of the very rare times where the sequel really does outperform the original because the sequel brings in so many refreshing new ideas that it is the same story, but, I mean, if it wasn't for Aliens, we wouldn't have Halo, you know? It's just, 
there's so many different media tropes that came from aliens that it's hard to ignore on how much of an impact it had on future cinema, video games and everything. And funny enough, like it's one of the best kind of story beats ever, but they still have yet to make an aliens video game that was actually good. They're able to adapt it to other things like halo is still the the only real big ex- example i can think of off the top of my head but it's not aliens by any means necessary but when they try to do it it falls on their face which is ironic but i don't know i'm i'm not a aliens fan but get away from her you bitch yeah but it's the same way too like how alien isolation was so well done you know, it's is it Halo? No, they're two completely separate games. Are they based on similar things? Yes, but they're not going to ever be in the same category of one another because they're, they're two radically different. So any other closing thoughts on Alien before I wrap this up? It's very alien-y. What is this, a Zoom call? <laughs> <laughs> this could have been an email. Oh, um <laughs> i still think this movie's great i oh, yeah. didn't it's think any of film. us would walk away saying anything different we can't thank you enough for coming along for this revisit of alien we have social media but i'll admit we're not always good at pushing ads and keeping us in the forefront of your thoughts but you still can find us on twitter x facebook instagram at screen refresh or you can email us over at screen refresh at gmail.com if you like what you've heard, please drop a review or rating and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast to help us out. We'll start even reading the reviews once they start flowing in. Also, we have a Discord. I keep forgetting to refresh the invite link, and it absolutely is now working. So please stop on by. We're all extremely active on there and would love to talk about our favorite movies, games, or whatever else that may come up. So for David, Dean, and Tim, this is Nick. You take care of yourself, and you can catch us next on Rule of Thirds, airing every third Monday of the month, and also our sister podcast, Don't Open This Podcast, every second and fourth Monday of every month. I want to go home and party. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation.